Hey, what's happening, everybody? Welcome to the program. It is September 29th, 2023. This is the Jeff Gerstman Show. Uh, I'm your host for this week. My name is Jeff Gerstman, and I'm here to talk about the world of video games. What a weird and wonderful world of video games. Um, yes. This is episode 69. Welcome, everybody, to the program. Um, gosh, what is, uh, yeah, it is, what, I, uh, the heck has been happening around here? I think, you know, there's a, uh, there's a very real chance that, uh, next week we're going to have a baby. We're in the window. I have one bag left I need to pack, but, uh, it's uh it, it's on. <laughs> oh, it's on over here. Um I don't know that I have a, a programming note style announcement or anything in terms of how uh what that's going to mean for scheduling and stuff. We're going to kind of play it by ear um and and see how it all how it all goes. Um in terms of like I, you know like paternity it's, it's it's like it's bringing back a bunch of like weird feelings about the last time we did this and I tried to take paternity leave and kind of couldn't because of the circumstances of my job the there was a management change basically the day that my wife went into labor is is when it all happened and so basically like even though I was going to take paternity leave I was fielding phone calls constantly from someone who was basically saying like yeah the new guy here says that everything's fucked and I'm like Okay, <laughs> all right. He says this is all bad. I'm like, okay, all right. If uh, if if the new people are coming in and saying that everything is bad, then I probably need to start going to meetings again immediately. Thanks, everybody. Um, yeah, it was it was uh, it was a bad time and an early sign <laughs> that things were fucking. Um, but yeah, so I, I don't, I don't really know, you know, this is uh we'll, we'll kind of see how it goes. Um, and, and, you know, when it happens and, and however, you know, how everyone comes out the other side and, and, uh, all that sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't have a, I don't have a great, uh, I don't have a great answer. I mean, yeah, I, I trying to get a, a bunch of different things done at the same time. Uh, and, uh, that's always, it's just, it's been a very hectic, uh, point in time. I've, I've been changing banks, you know, a lot of, a lot of things. I was in a bank yesterday. Hey, uh, here's my advice. Don't go to a bank. <laughs> you know, if you can, if you can help it, uh, you know, don't go to a bank. I'm getting all these messages. Now my PC is popping up all these messages. You're low on disk space. Storage sense is freeing up space on your PC to help it run its best. Um, yeah, I guess I guess those Xbox, I guess those those Xbox games installed the C drive, huh? Whoops. Well, well, heck, here we are, uh, doing a program, nonetheless. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I I have been playing a handful of video games lately. I know that's weird, but uh, um. But I've uh, been been playing a handful of games. Uh, this uh, a lot of uh, this Mortal Kombat news. This morning I saw a bunch of stuff of people saying like, "Hey, there's 
like a new bug where player one lands combos more reliably than player two and that's the opposite of good for a competitive game um so hopefully that's something that if if that is actually the case hopefully that's something that'll get tackled really soon you know they, they've the mortal Kombat one's been an interesting one um it's it's had a bunch of little bugs i guess this is the first one i've heard of that's been like oh boy okay that's uh that's that sounds like a a, a bad situation um but it, it otherwise it's been a lot of little stuff like you know there it, there's a little icon that pops up when you have new skins or whatever and uh that icon never i i've i've cleared every you know like call of duty and all these other games that are just like there's something new in this tab and you go in that tab and you click on everything to make the, the thing go away uh i can never make it go away it's just there um i got it in my head that i was going to install the i i had access to the epic game store version of mortal kombat 1 and thinking in my head, like, oh man, okay, well, it doesn't have none of these. None of these games have crossplay, or rather, uh, they, they said that Mortal Kombat One did not have crossplay yet. And um, uh, and I was like, well, if I maybe if I install the Epic version, like maybe fewer people bought it over there. I wonder if it'll be a situation where uh, the people who bought it there will be easier to beat or whatever. I was just I was mostly curious more than anything else. Uh, so I installed that version. And fired it up. It turns out the PC versions are cross-play. So, like, I, I matched up with someone from Steam uh, and and fought and came close but lost. I, I, I have not had a ton of time to play any uh, online Mortal Kombat. Um, but uh, but I've, I'm close to being done with the Season of Invasions mode. Uh, I'm, I'm on the last area. I just got to the last area of that a couple of days ago and then stopped playing that because I started playing Cyberpunk 2077 Phantom Liberty, which is the DLC add-on for Cyberpunk. Um, we talked a little bit about the 2.0 update last week. Um, and you know, uh, I've, I've now spent some more time with that and I'm, I'm making my way through this Cyberpunk DLC uh, boy so the the <laughs> the big news for me that i discovered uh last night was uh i don't know if you remember last time i played cyberpunk a few months ago when they rolled out the cross save support across versions i ran into a bug that uh took away all of my inventory all of my guns gone all my guns gone um there it's, it's a it's a mission where you go to a bar and they have a thing there's like a you know a box and you have to deposit all your weapons in the box before they'll let you go in the club and there was a bug where on the way out you could put the guns back in the box and not get them out or whatever it was there was something like it, I, I forget the exact situation but basically all my guns gone all 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 my guns gone and uh, the the fun part of that realization was it doesn't matter. None of the inventory in that game actually matters. So I went and you know punched people until I got another gun and everything was fine. Um, anyway, the other last night I I was playing the game and I opened up my they redesigned a lot in that game. Um, this is in a lot of ways the game they should have shipped I think because of the changes they've made to the messaging system for when you get phone calls and texts uh or the the way you can track your missions just the literal like quest log 
Like just just like bits and pieces of the entire game that are just like fucking man. It it seems like a proper video game in a lot of ways. Um. Anyway, I was looking through the mission log and I saw a mission on there that was go get your guns or like go retrieve your inventory or whatever it said. I was like, wait a minute, is that what is that? I don't remember that mission. What is that? You know, and it was just like some gig, some side thing. And I was like, oh wait. Is that, did they fucking fix the broken mission and now I've got a, like, I've got a, like a, a new, a new pip or a new, a new pointer in my log to go. So I went back and yes, it was the same box. It was the same. And I was like, ah, oh, fucking assholes. And so I, I retrieved my guns and it said, you completed the mission. And I was like, great. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. All these months later, uh, I got my guns back. Um, they were all terrible turns out i don't know they, they've revamped so many different things about the guns and the upgrade system and and the the upgrade items that you use to upgrade and the you know weapons come in tiers now and it, it seems like it's it seems like clothing doesn't have raw armor stats on it anymore but they're still in tiers and so i don't know if there's a benefit to equipping a tier five jacket over a tier four jacket because it doesn't have any numbers on it some of the uh uh, some of the items will have uh side benefits like uh you know plus seven percent melee damage reduction so that's like a clear like oh this piece of clothing has a stat but the rest don't and and but but they're still in tiers in a weird way so it'll still show an up arrow uh it, on a on a clothing stat even though it doesn't really show that they have stats just bonuses but the, but it'll say like oh this tier 5 plus Johnny's glasses is better than this uh VR headset even though it doesn't have any bonuses or anything like that it's just like some this weird um instead armor comes from you equipping cyber modules to your body and there's limits on that stuff and you know there's different skill perk points that you spend on a a totally revamped skill tree and um and that will get you your benefits and bonuses and stats and and all of this sort of stuff like by and large it, it seems like a better system overall um but the thing I was finding, like, I, I spent, like, a good long time staring at every part of the skill tree. And trying to figure out, like, what am I... What am I specking into here? What is the thing that actually matters? How do I want to... How do I want to rebuild this character? Because, you know, they, they refund all your perk points when you upgrade to the new, you know, to 2.0 or whatever. So you... It, it's, it's why they're recommending you start a new game. Um, because a lot of, so much of that stuff has been revamped. It's, it's like coming back to a live game, you know, a year later and going like, what the fuck is any of this? But it's not, it's not quite as complicated. So I I spent a ton of time staring at it going like, how do I, what do I want to equip? What do I need to be able to equip? It's like, I want to be able to equip as much, uh, body mods as possible, I guess. So I want to spec in this direction. They've got a stat called mitigation that gives you a percentage chance to mitigate incoming damage. And and I think that is a stat from the board game or whatever they from the from actual cyberpunk, if I'm not mistaken. But they you know they've revamped a lot of a lot of the dice rolls and numbers and shit. Um, 
in the game. But in my experience, as I spent all this time spending all these perk points and, and filling up skill trees and, and um, everything else, was like, I, none of this feels like it is making a big difference. Like, it's stuff like, oh, if you, if you fire from the hip, it's 10% less stamina. Um, it costs 10% less stamina to fire from the hip with this type of weapon. And so it's a lot of specking in the direction of like, all right, are you using swords? Are you using guns? Are you, what, what are you, which, which direction do you want to, if you can get a stealth upgrade here, you can get a dash. And if you upgrade the dash enough, you can dash in the air. Uh, and there's like stuff like that, that is like meaningful. Like the dash is good. There's an upgrade for the dash where if you're, you can use it to kind of get back into stealth if you're spotted. Um, the little bits and pieces like that. But I'm finding, like, as I get to the top of a lot of these skill trees, like, the ultimate, um, you know, the the ultimate item on these skill trees, like, very few of them felt useful or interesting. Um, as as I kind of specced into that stuff and refunded points and specced a different way and, and and really tried to mess around with it, I was like, this doesn't feel like it's making that much of a difference compared to how I was playing the game before. And maybe it's, maybe that's, you know, because I'm coming in with a level, you know, 45, whatever, you know, some high level character that has finished the game, um, or could finish the game, I suppose. Um, but I could do all the stuff I could do before I was a killer with melee. you know, my gorilla arms were good at ripping people apart in a couple of, hits i'm really good with guns i'm really you know like it, it just didn't it didn't feel any different i don't know maybe it just felt like i dumped a bunch of points into it and it's like okay you're basically as powerful as you were before go but you got there a different way hooray i i and it just it didn't feel all that meaningful um from just like a you know like it, it didn't feel like i was getting like fun new abilities or that like i was like creating a more specialized character and it just yeah i don't know um, that, that part, like I, I, I have specced into a little, you know, a little bit of everything I have specced in hard into one territory versus another. Um, I've specced in the direction of the guns I currently have in my inventory. I've swapped that out for like, oh, well maybe if I'm using tech weapons, that'll work better, you know? And it just, you know, it, it really feels like, Hey, how are you going to play the game? You should spec in that direction and you'll be fine. And it, it didn't, it, yeah, I don't know. It didn't feel like it was like opening up fun new avenues of play or anything like that. If anything, I would say I have specced hard into my cyberware stuff and that feels less effective. It feels like they addressed the problem of like, because what I could do before is I could cast contagion on somebody, which is a viral, you know, it does damage to the person. And also that virus spreads to the enemies around them and, and they all get it to, and what I could mostly do is just cast that on one guy and then watch a room full of enemies drop. And, uh, and that was powerful, but not particularly stressful or engaging. Uh, and the change that I feel they've made, or at least, you know, with the same gear and, and specking hard in that direction is contagion and that sort of stuff feels like it cannot do that anymore. Uh, it feels like I am, I am less able to, and, and maybe that's a matter of like, there's a, you know, new gear and new slots that I need to go 
further down that rabbit hole to get that type of overpowered again but like just like for like you know same character level whatever else trying to spec in that direction with the gear that i had it felt like some of the abilities were way worse um you know which which didn't feel especially good as someone who has played 50 hours of the game (laughs) you know um so like that's so that's all the stuff that like you just get you know that that's like all that's a free upgrade you don't have to buy the dlc to get a bunch of that stuff um the dlc is a new area called dogtown uh the the president's spaceship crashes in dogtown and only you can help uh a netrunner on board the the craft contacts you uh and you are uh set in motion to save the president and kind of you know move through that stuff the uh the weird thing is that that aspect of it kind of wraps up and and i'm sure it comes back around again but like there's an introductory part of it while you're going around with with the president trying to get her to safety um and then you kind of do that you make some contacts whatever whatever she's getting out of the area and 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 that's kind of and then there's a, a moment you hit where it's like, wait two days for so-and-so's phone call. Wait two days to talk to Idris Elba. And um, and then it was like, oh, okay. I just, you know, like I can just hit the button to wait those two days. But it was like, oh, I've got to go do all these other side missions that I have from the main game now because there's not that much to do here until then it was, it was like a, it was really deflating um and so yeah I, I played a little bit more of it and uh you know the the introductory parts of it when you're kind of going through it with the president there's um there is some combat there that is that feels like a um feels like a proper boss fight from a video game from a different video game in a weird way like you're fighting this big robot tank thing and it's got a laser on it and it will just occasionally spin 360 degrees with its big laser and you have to jump over it and i was like oh this is like a weird platformer thing <laughs> uh, like a, you know just like a, a very like it felt very different from the base game in that specific way um they've got a new sort of uh, there and you you unlock a new additional skill tree that takes different types of perk points but it's also it's very slight there's like three different pathways on it um and i none of them have i i have not found any of them to be actually interesting or good it's like one is just like hey man do you want to upgrade your mantis arms to do a thing or your gorilla arms or like whatever arm we've got one path that's like for whatever arms you're using we've got one path for guns and then there's a third path for i forget what the third path is it's a very small tree um i think it's a bladed no it's uh it's for optical camo it's stealth but it's like it's like if you i equipped that and then i was like oh wait do i not do i have to have optical camo do i get that from somewhere else or do i get it by specking in this direction and i can't just i can't figure out how to assign it to the right bumper or whatever anyway so i 
started uh moving those points around and uh couldn't figure out how to get optical camo into my grenade slot and so i was like okay well let's try one of the other ones i went with the gun one the gun the gun one will create um weak points on enemies occasionally you'll see a little diamond appear over an enemy and it'll be like it's its kneecap you know it's, it's like something other than a headshot to target and if you hit that weak point then it can trigger another weak point or trigger you know there's things that can proc off of you hitting the weak point anyway the big fight against the big spider tank thing um that thing has a ton of weak points on it and so there's an element of that particular fight where you are scanning the enemy mid-combat looking for these weak points and then shooting the weak points and and like that it, it felt like a very different game i mean like like that aspect of it it was not something that, that felt particularly represented in you know, mainline cyberpunk. Um, and, and so that boss fight in particular, it, it felt like something out of a different game and, and felt like way more action focused, way more timing again. Like, you know, it is doing 360 sweeps with a laser beam and you have to jump over it. Like it's, it's that type of boss fight, you know, it's like, Oh, it's like, it's like, what are we playing ratchet and clank over here all of a sudden? Um, but worse, uh, but it's fine. It, it's, uh, it, it's good. It, it felt like in a way I was like, Oh, is this going to be like a way more action heavy chunk of the game than the rest of it has been? Is this just going to be like really fight focused, but you eventually get to a point where it kind of, again, it, it settles down. Some characters kind of leave the setting. Some others come into play and there's like this element of like, wait two days to do more. And so that's kind of where I got to. And then I started going around and doing side stuff and because uh, I didn't want to just hit the button to wait two days. I was like, well, let's explore. Let's do other sides. So there's like new missions in, in Dogtown where you steal cars. And uh, you can, there's new kind of car combat options where you are uh, automatically locking onto targets and shooting at them. Like it, it's, it's pretty, as far as like shooting out of a car goes, it actually works pretty well. Um, Compared to a lot of other games where, where you're like manually aiming or doing this and that, like I felt that like the shooting out of the car uh, felt felt pretty good uh, and and felt uh, effective, I guess I would say. So I don't know, like the for me though, I think the most impressive part of what they have done to Cyberpunk is all of this visual stuff. Is all of this, you know. Um, DLSS 3.5 ray reconstruction ray tracing overdrive like whatever whatever brand name you want to slap on it um like turning it all the way up uh and again I have a 4090 so like you know your mileage will vary um but when I think about how it ran previously on this 40 on this very machine with when it still had the kind of path tracing preview even uh and i think about how it looks now uh and how it performs now uh kind of across the board of the last i don't know six nine months of that game whatever it is of checking in on it and going like yeah this still runs fucked up like um i'm i'm really impressed with the look of that game i'm really impressed with what they're doing with it from a technological standpoint and the path traced lighting uh, it's really impressive and it happens. It, it is performant, I guess is what I would say. Like it, it is. And I, I don't have, um, it also has support for the, uh, the frame interpolation stuff, uh, that, uh, that the modern NVIDIA cards can do where it will just motion smooth you some frames. Um, 
I have that turned off because for OBS to run properly, you have to turn off a setting that also governs whether you can use that frame stuff in games. And I've just left it turned off. I'd figure if, if a game runs so poorly that I want to try it, I'll turn all that stuff back on to try frame generation. Um, but so I have everything but frame generation turned on, on basically. Um, and I'm, I'm really impressed with the lighting and, and how well that stuff behaves, how well it performs all of that. Like it's a really good showpiece for the specific technologies that NVIDIA has been trying to, to get going. And so I'm running, I think I'm, you know, I have, I haven't busted out the frame counter, but yeah, I'm running at 1440 P and I'm pretty sure it's over 60 frames a second by, you know, some, some clip or something. Um, either way it, it runs smoothly, uh, pretty much across the board. And, and so from that perspective, you know, and, and there's stuff like, I don't, you know, the character models and animation and, and there's aspects of that stuff that I think, you know, are maybe starting to age ever so slightly. And there's parts of that that I don't think really look great up close. Um, but in terms of the world and its lighting, I think it's really astounding. Like it's, it's really impressive. Uh, that aspect of it looks really, really great. Um, so I, I, I'm, I'm really impressed with that. That is kind of keeping me going. That, that has been what's keeping me coming back to this because the, the, the storyline of the DLC, the setting of the DLC, all of that stuff has not really done anything for me so far. I'm still, you know, again, kind of relatively early on in it. But, you know, getting out and running around Dogtown was like, eh, it's just fucking more of it. Like, I'm not engaged enough in this world to really need more. And, and and the style of writing hasn't changed. And, you know, the the things I don't like about the the way they do dialogue are still on display um, in in the DLC. And and so, you know, those aspects of the game I still find really grating. Um, but, you know, hey. Uh, in, in terms of environmental lighting and, and all of the, again, if, if you're looking for a game that you want to see all these bells and whistles and stuff, like I, I think it's really impressive. Um, and I, I, that is the thing that's going to keep me loading it up, uh, here and there, but yeah, I don't know. There's, there's, it is, it is still cyberpunk underneath all of that stuff. I, I've, I still, and I've still had weird stuff where like, uh, as I was walking up the street, there was a bunch of cops standing on the corner and the cops all just went bump and they moved. They just skipped like front like four feet. Like it's just weird shit. Like that. Like there's still weird shit in that game. It is still janky in, in different ways. Every time, every time they patch it, there's like five different things that you go like, I, what? Oh, what the heck? What was this all about? Um, and so, uh, yeah, that's that's uh, that's Phantom Liberty. I don't know. It's I'll, I'll keep playing it and see kind of how the uh, how the dialogues or how the the rest of the, the rest of the story goes or or whatever. But uh, but yeah, I don't know. It, it's that that aspect of it is is definitely not not moving me off the bat. That's for sure. Um, I've also also been spending a little bit more time playing F zero ninety nine which is the 
latest kind of zero cost add-on for the Nintendo Switch in the vein of Tetris 99 and Super Mario 99 and so on and so forth. If you didn't see that when the last Nintendo Direct that kind of came out immediately following it. And it is SNES F-Zero, but with 99 people on the track. And uh, and so it becomes a mix of, yeah, you kind of want to finish the race, uh, but also there are a lot of other people trying to finish this race and it's, it's we did not make the tracks any wider. Uh, <laughs> so figure it out. Fuckos. Like it, it's a, it, it's a very interesting take on F zero. Uh, that's also a really good reminder of just how good that first F zero was. And uh, I think that that look, the thing that original F-Zero does when you blow up on a track and it keeps going a little bit and then turns around and the camera turns around and you just see smoke just pouring off of your wrecked fucking car. Like, it's so good. So good. All of the music in original F-Zero, that Mode 7 look is so good. And seeing it all recreated here, but with so many more cars on the track is ridiculous. It's fun. Um, I'm still terrible at it. (laughs) Uh, what they do is, you know, like as, as players collide, little, little, uh, collectibles will pop off of the vehicles, little, little collectible, little yellow spheres or gold spheres, whatever it is. Um, and you pick up those to fill up a meter. And when the meter is full, you can you can teleport up to a higher patch of the road. You can jump up to an upper tier of road where there are way fewer cars and then has a bunch of boost strips. The idea being when you fill the meter, you can then get up here and, and go way faster and, and pull ahead of a bunch of folks. And uh it's a really neat idea. It's um it's a it's a really it's a really neat idea seeing all of that stuff manifest. They've come up with a bunch of different kind of, you know, ways for the rules to play out in terms of, are you doing a cup? Are you doing a series of races? Are you doing one individual, what kind of one-off race or, or whatever, um, you know, and, and they, they govern that by time. So you'll always have the main mode available. And then on a timer, the second mode will change out. It'll be like, oh, for this hour, we're doing this. And the next hour we're doing this and, you know, kind of a Splatoon style, um, Kind of a a, a, bom- a Super Bomberman R two style take <laughs> on uh, on all of that stuff. Um, it's really neat. It it uh, it's one of the it's the the ninety nine games are. I'm not going to say hit and miss because they're all really fascinating. Uh, but some are more fun to play than others. I think F zero is on the side of really fun to play, even when you're not great at it. You get a little spin move you can do to kind of knock enemies around. It's a, it's a good time. Again, if you you know if you're subscribing to Nintendo's thing, uh, then it's a no brainer to check it out. So you should uh, you should give that a look. Um, and then it just came out this morning, so I have not played much more than the tutorial. But I just want to point out that El Paso Elsewhere is out now. Um, it's on Steam. It's on Xbox. I think it's on Itch as well. But um, El Paso Elsewhere is a Max Payne-like, Max Payne light, really. I mean, you know, it doesn't have the persistent, no, it it is a, let's call it a, you know, kind of PlayStation 1-esque 
graphical take somewhere, you know, demake style graphics uh, in a in a Max Payne like game. Um, Strange Scaffold worked on this. It's really it. It is really, it is really Max Payne. It is, it is hold down the shift key to stay on the ground and then roll around and shoot people after you do your slow motion dive uh, level of Max Payne. It is painkillers, popping pills is a significant part of the character's entire being at the outset level of Max Payne um, in terms of, of gameplay and, and all of that sort of stuff. Uh, the difference being that your girlfriend is uh, is a lady Drac is a is a Dracula, and she is uh, holed up in some hotel in Texas, uh, trying to bring about the end of the world, and so you are trying to stop that. Um, you also have you have a, a role that has invincibility frames on it, and uh, th- that's the probably the parts where it diverges from Max Payne is you have a you have a role. And you also, you can break wooden objects in the world to pick up stakes, and then you can hit a button to stake enemies because they're vampires. Uh, it's got all the internal monologue style stuff of a Max Payne. Uh, it, it is, it's really impressive. And I, again, I, I have only really played the prologue and I, I messed with the demo ever so slightly um, when that came out during the last demo fest. I have something in my eye. And I'm trying to get it out. And uh, and it is it is very annoying. But uh, anyway, so I, I'm I'm just getting started on that. I just, I just got my hands on it this morning. Um, been looking forward to it for a while. And El Paso elsewhere. That's uh, that's out. So maybe we'll stream some of that this week, and uh, and and everyone can get a look at it if they like. Um, and that's uh, yeah. I don't know. That that's that's kind of it for games. Yeah, it, it has it has a, an, a it has a rap soundtrack. It is from the same company that made that poker game that we streamed a while back, which is uh, the the level of they made the the airport for dog the alien air the air the dog airport game. They uh, they made the space alien warlord organ sandwich organ tra- organ simulator organ sale simulator. That's. They're, they're making a variety of games there. Yes, an airport for aliens run by dogs is the actual official name of that game. Space Warlord Organ Trading Simulator. Uh, yeah, so a wide variety of games coming from a strange scaffold these days. It's kind of nuts. Um, anyway, yeah, so I, I'm going to check that out as, as someone who could go for some more Max Payne. As someone who still feels like Max Payne 3 was the was not at all what I was looking for out of a Max Payne game. I still feel this hole, this missing part where there have not been enough Max Payne games. I, you know, maybe I need to go back. You know, I didn't I didn't touch much of it at the time because I remember not really liking it all that much, but um you know, maybe this is a good reason to go back and finally look at Stranglehold again after all these years. Um, but yeah, um, I guess get into this. I found a flavor of ghost that I hadn't tried yet. I'm surprised. Uh, I thought that I had and I bought it thinking I couldn't because I couldn't remember what it tasted like. And so I got a ghost sour pink lemonade. Um. 
which is not on the list. So I'm going to give it a, give it a look here. Um, sour, you know, I, I, I feel like the sour, uh, uh, energy drinks have been very hit or miss in terms of how sour they are. And if the sourness kind of ruins the flavor or whatever else, um, that's a very strong smell, very strong, soury, lemony smell. Um, right off the bat, smells like lemonade. I love the man. Yeah, well, we'll look. I mean, again, I think I think it's hard to beat the uh, Rockstar Recovery lemonade, and also Cherry Blade lemonade, which is you know that's that's not entirely fair because it's not just a pure lemonade. Um. Yeah, it's uh yeah, let's find out. I don't know what happened. I took a sip of this, I don't know what happened. As I'm swallowing it, there's a feel and taste of lemonade happening somewhere in my esophagus. The front end of this flavor has nothing on it. There's nothing there. It's like drinking a ghost. It's like I sucked off a ghost. There was nothing there. Very weird. And then as that kind of settles in. There's like it's it's like the, there's something about the sourness of it. That is masking the lemon flavor and resulting in almost no flavor. And then three seconds later, it's like, oh, by the way, did you know you drank lemonade recently? And I'm like, wait, what? Who? The fuck I did? Y'all fight you, man. Um, This tastes all right. It's just weird. I don't know. Like it just... um. It also maybe tastes a little powdery. Um, it's not super sour. It's a, it's a little sour. It's a little sour. I feel like I could go with a stronger lemonade flavor or perhaps more sourness. Just a little bit more of, of everything would probably benefit this drink um but it's not i don't know it's it's not uh there's not yeah i don't know like when I, when i'm looking for an energy drink i think there's just a certain amount of like hey i'm looking for a flavor here and i'm not getting that I'm not getting enough of a flavor here. Again, it's almost all aftertaste because of the way the sourness kind of masks um, everything else. Um, so it's not it's not bad, uh, but it's it's uh, it's it's certainly okay. I guess I just I don't think it's as good as the. I mean, is this our lowest ranked? Ghost has been on a real tear lately. The ghost beverages uh, have, have, for the most part, been quite good. Though we do have a few here that have uh, 
you know, kind of made their way down the list as as time goes on. I would, uh, hmm. Okay, it is. Where did Redcon? Okay, Cali Splash is actually quite high. Um, Cali Splash is great. I I still have some of all of this Redcon one uh, that uh, that someone sent in, and and I've been getting back to that lately. Trying to get through, trying to get through the stocks of cases of drinks that I've got here of uh, flavors that are already on the list, just to kind of clear out, clear out a little inventory, clear out a little space. Um. So this is okay. Again, like it's it's not as good as Swedish Fish, that's for sure. I it's not as good as Tropical Mango, but I would probably take it over the Ghost Bubblicious Strawberry Splash. It's probably in this range right about here. I don't think it's not as good as Bucked Up Energy Gym and Juice, which was pretty good. Um, the Strawberry Peach was a, a little underwhelming for what it was. Um, yeah, I think we've I think we've found it. Let me update the list here, and then we'll move on and get into the news. Uh, okay. What is the actual? It is Ghost Sour Pink Lemonade. Okay. Lemonade. Okay. Congratulations! It is a. Uh, it did not quite make our top fifty, but it is number fifty-one. The sour pink lemonade. You could certainly do a lot worse than a ghost sour pink lemonade. I think it's just you know it's it's just a it's a weird flavor. I'd almost recommend trying one based on that because it's just a strange. Uh... Strange. Why don't we get into the news? Phil Spencer continues to be in the news, the head of Xbox. Uh, he did a few interviews in Japan during the Tokyo Game Show. Uh, there was, of course, all of these leaked documents and emails. We talked about almost all of that stuff last week. There's just one more Um that ended up surfacing a little bit later uh, that Kotaku latched onto that I thought was interesting. It's, uh, you know, these are internal takes and, and so they're a little raw is not the word, but it's, uh, you know, it, it is not the, it is not the public face of one of the more prominent public faces in the video game industry, you know? And, and, and so instead it is, you know, th- this is a, uh, Phil Spencer's take on kind of where triple a gaming is and what's wrong with kind of the big games. And, you know, and some of this is in the context of, um, the strength of game pass, uh, and, and all of that sort of stuff. This, these emails went back and forth, uh, in March of 2020. Uh, it looks like it's a, a according to Kotaku, who has kind of sourced the, the lineage of this that it's uh that they were going to meet with take two and so it's them kind of talking over kind of what they're going to talk about when they talk to take two a little bit um and it's kind of the it's it's his look at kind of the changing 
space, the 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 changing, and and this is you know we we talk about this a lot, right? In terms of, and I think we've talked about it from from my end of like the the way when games launch, they don't feel. In some ways, they don't feel as big anymore, but in other ways, the truly big games feel like they're being made in this too-big-to-fail kind of way where they have to sell so many millions of copies in order to stay afloat that there's just, you know, they're focus-tested to death. It's not always a bad thing at the end of the day, but it's, you know, it's just where we're at. Like these blockbuster... It's, I think, a lot of the same criticism that people have tried to levy at the movie industry... In terms of the blockbuster-focused movie industry. At the same time, I think when you look at the depth and breadth of video games, much like, I think, if you look at every movie that's coming out, um, the biggest of the big are going down that road. But, of course, also, there are a ton of smaller games. Like, you know, we were just talking about El Paso... Elsewhere, uh, you know, like like it's a it's another good example of that of like smaller studios making bigger games, uh, and making v- varied games and 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 all of that sort of stuff. So it's like I think that you can have both, right? So I think you that super focus tested, big, triple A, quad A, whatever you want to call them, uh, whatever that experience is, like that massive video game. Yeah, there's demand for that. Like, guess what? You know, like like people want those. You know, there's a mainstream audience of of people that that want those games. You know, it's not like Call of Duty is coming out and no one is buying it. It's not like NBA comes out every year and no one buys it. But, you know, we still live in a world where, I don't know, maybe Payday 3 is a decent example of this Lies of P. We, We live in a world where a new fucking Armored Core game came out this year. So I think people that are like, ugh, video games, it's just all the big, you know, like are fucking... It's a bad faith argument at some point. <laughs> um, so I, I look at that sort of stuff as, as like, you know, I think overall the, the video game industry, it's, it's pretty, it's got a good, a good variety to it is my point. A piece fell off my chair. That's why I'm, I'm like looking down going, what the fuck just happened? Um, and so that, I think that's, that's from, from our end of things, you know, and but internally, you know, I, I always you know, think about like, especially, especially Microsoft, when we think about the Xbox and when we think about the Xbox brand and we think a lot about what's it going to take for Xbox to kind of just feel like it's firing on all cylinders. A lot of times we've been talking about their next game. And right now that's Forza Motorsport, right? But like, what's the next big thing from them? Is that going to be... The, the next big Halo, the next this. There's so much riding on this game, this game. Um, and I guess, like, the interesting thing here is that the approach or the, the sales pitch, almost, if you will, of where Microsoft is at, where the Xbox brand is at, is, is very different than, than that. And it's very different from PlayStations. You know, I think, you know, the, the PlayStation brand is still, and you'll, you'll see Jim Ryan out there trying to talk about it everywhere he can, um, about their big single player pipeline, their big, thick, veiny single player pipeline of, you know, your God of Wars and your last of us and your Uncharted's and Spider-Man's and 
and so on and so forth as they simultaneously try to build a live game, uh, a, a bigger and more robust live game offering. Um, and so they've taken very different approaches. And so I think like the, the Microsoft approach and how they've been trying to, what the way they've been pushing on game pass for these years and all that other stuff, like try to keep that in mind when you, I'm going to read these comments to you. I'm going to read this email to you. Um, but it's really just, it's, it's a look at like the plight or the, the place for AAA publishers in, in today's society. And keep in mind, this is from 2020. Uh, this is the chunk of the email that the Kotaku pulled out. It's just, it's pretty much the chunk worth, worth thinking over. Um, over the past five to seven years, the AAA publishers have tried to use production scale as their new moat. Uh, very few companies can afford to spend the $200 million an Activision or Take-Two spend to put a title like Call of Duty or Red Dead Redemption on the shelf. These AAA publishers have mostly used this production scale to keep their top franchises in the top-selling games each year. The issue these publishers have run into is the same production scale and cost approach hurts their ability to create new IP. The hurdle rate on new IP at these new at these high production levels have led to risk aversion by big publishers on new IP. You've seen a rise of AAA publishers using rented IP to try to offset the risk, like Star Wars with EA, Spider-Man with Sony, Avatar with Ubisoft, etc. The same dynamic has obviously played out in Hollywood, as well as with Netflix creating more new IP than any of the movie studios. Specifically, the AAA game publishers, starting from a position of strength driven from physical retail, have failed to create any real platform effect for themselves. They effectively continue to build their scale through aggregated per-game PNLs, hoping to maximize each new release of their existing IP. In the new world, where a AAA publisher doesn't have real distribution leverage with consumers, they don't have production efficiencies, and their new IP hit rate is not disproportionately higher than the industry average we see that to the top franchises today uh, were mostly not created by AAA game publishers. Games like Fortnite, Roblox, Minecraft, Candy Crush, Clash Royale, Dota 2, etc. It's really funny to me that Dota... I mean, you know, I guess it, it belongs, right? But there's like Dota 2 really stands out. It's like a, a weird, a kind of weird game on that list. Uh, we're all created by independent studios with full access to distribution. Overall, this, in my opinion, is a good thing for the industry, but does put AAA publishers in a precarious spot moving forward. AAA publishers are milking their top franchises, but struggling to refill their portfolio of hit franchises. Most AAA publishers are riding the success of franchises created 10 plus years ago. Um... That's just correct. <laughs> Pretty much what he's saying there is, you know, you can make arguments about, you know, kind of his uh, analogy about Netflix and, and whatever else. But yeah, I mean, we talk about the risk aversion in, you know, when it comes to the big third party publishers. I mean, think about how long it's taken and, and, you know, Hey, they've got a money. They've, they've got gigantic. They are sleeping on bags of money. They have beds made of gold over there. At the Grand Theft Auto Corporation, right? I mean, they have 10 years of success with Grand Theft Auto Online. So, 
you know, their risk is largely mitigated, except for the part that when they put out GTA 6, they run the risk of, you know, maybe that game doesn't hit as big as they need to. But also there's the double whammy of what if GTA 6 splits the user base for GTA Online and fucks that up too? The amount of risk that a lot of these publishers are dealing with. You know, we talk about, you know, the Activision all the time. Activision has been on this train for, I think, I, I feel like longer than anyone. And they're on this train in a more dedicated fashion than anyone Despite, you know, they they at least do have some diversity in their portfolio once you factor in Blizzard's releases, which are few and far between. Um, and also the mobile stuff. You know, obviously they through King, they they do have um a more diversified portfolio than than most. Um well, no, not than most. But like when we think about the big AAA space, we think about the Activision brand specifically. It's Call of Duty all day long. It's them shutting down the old war zone because they need to make sure that everyone's focused on the new one because that's where the new cosmetics live. You know, there's uh not that that's the only reason, but it's, it's certainly I'm sure on a list. Um, you know, Activision is the company that, you know, instead of, you know, signing their 10 year deal with destiny and, and, and having Bungie on board for all of this time. And, and as soon as things start to flounder, they're like, this is not worth our time anymore. We are cutting it loose. Um, this is a bad relationship. Instead of fixing it, we're just like, ah, mm, ah, mm. Uh, you know, Activision is a company where the guy who was supposed to be out there figuring out new IPs and doing other things left the company to go put out more guitar rock. And good, good on him. Get out of the fucking rat race. It's a disaster. Um, and, uh, you know, like they're, they're kind of in the weirdest spot of all. Um, especially because the Blizzard stuff hasn't necessarily been hitting, right? I'm sure that there are pl- probably plenty of people playing Overwatch too, but there's not a good, v- you know, the vibes are wrong. And then, you know, hey, at the, at the end of the day, who gives a shit if the vibes are off if your bottom line is right? Um, and I don't think the bottom line is probably as right as they want it to be for that sort of stuff either. That's just a guess. I don't think, I feel like Diablo 4 is, you know, is a game that has come and gone, right? I mean... Remember Diablo 4? Remember that game came out? I'm sure there are some people still playing it, but god dang, I have not seen a person talk about it uh, since, um, which is Gamescom, I guess. Gamescom. When uh, when they got out there and announced their Season 2 stuff. Um, but Diablo 4 doesn't feel like it's dominating the way, you know, uh, obviously like... Uh, yeah, season one is season one doing it for you. It, it didn't do it for me at all, and I uninstalled it, and uh, it kind of just feels like it's. Um. So anyway, uh, you know, I, what I guess the short version is that's a ton of great reasons to sell that company off and partner it up with a company that's making a bunch of other games. Um. But also, yes, you you could argue yes that. Diablo 4 came out at a time just before a lot of heavy hitters were starting to enter the market. Um, you know, Starfield, Mortal Kombat. You, just, you know, I think Mortal Kombat is like it's the number one selling boxed game in the UK for whatever that's worth. I don't know. Is that a thing? <laughs> like, oh, well, it's physical games. So, you know. Um, 
But this has been, you know, and, 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 you know, this is his assessment is not unique to him. It is not unique. You know, it is. I think that there are a lot of people inside the industry that that share a lot of those feelings. You don't always hear about it all the time because, you know, no one's going to come out and say, hey, I think a lot of these other publishers, some of whom we partner with uh, are fucking terrible, you know, like are, are doing a bad job of this or doing a bad job of that. Right. It, it's it's you know, you're just not going to necessarily hear these sorts of takes um given publicly especially from someone who is ahead of a platform who is in the business of making sure that everyone wants to do business with him um but i think he's he's absolutely right i think you know again the stuff about you know making games with other people's ip to try to mitigate some of that risk um you know the star wars stuff the avatar stuff the avatar stuff i think will be really interesting just purely from that perspective of like, I am still convinced that, you know, despite it doing all these numbers in the box office and whatever else, I, I do people actually care enough about avatar Are people invested enough in the avatar. How many people are invested deeply enough in the avatar universe to go on and buy a video game? Is it enough people to justify the amount of money that they are probably putting into that game um will it yeah will it do further numbers based on it basically kind of being a a a take on the far cry franchise sort of um yeah people who love love lore love avatar are there enough people who love lore and love avatar that they want to invest in if they they're like savako we've got a pre-order today like i'm i don't i don't know the answer to that question um I'd, i'd be really curious again i will be really curious to see how the avatar game does when it makes its way onto shelves you know they will market the hell out of it but is that something like they if people see it you know if they're watching a basketball game and there's an ad for the avatar game are they likely to go like oh fuck yeah savako motherfucker we got to get to the store we got to go get an avatar meal and get a you know whatever it is um i don't know um, but that's the, that's the gamble that Ubisoft is taking, right? They're like, oh, well, you know, we can spend this amount of money on the game because it's this hit IP. And so we're this and that. And so they can justify the amount of time and effort that they've put into that thing by thinking that it's like, yes, that is avatar is the thing. Um, but he also focuses on like, yeah, most of the top franchises today are not made by those traditional, you know, we talk, it's, it's the change happening in gaming. It's the change that already happened in gaming that we just kind of sometimes pretend didn't happen or isn't happening or whatever else, because we're just, you know, cause it's very easy to go like, well, yeah, but what, when's the next gears of war coming out? Um, cause I want to play the next gears of war. That's not, you know, not, not, not being shitty about it. It's just like, the kids don't, I went to a, uh, well, okay. So, but he, you know, he says the games he lists again, it's Fortnite, Roblox, Minecraft, Candy Crush, Clash Royale, and Dota 2, uh, etc. So, you know, you can put your League of Legends or whatever at the end of that list, I guess. Um, uh, the kids love that stuff or the kids love Fortnite and Roblox and Minecraft. And then Candy Candy Crush and Clash Royale probably appeal to a mainstream audience in a wild way because they're phone games and they're everywhere. 
Dota 2 is for lunatics. I don't know. Dota 2 probably doesn't belong on this list in terms of the number of people that play it. Daily average users. And I'm not, I'm not even saying Dota 2 is small. Dota 2 is obviously a very big game. But it's not Roblox, okay? Um, so, yeah, I, it's, uh, it's just interesting to get this, this insight. Uh, again, and this is a few years old, but I don't think any of it is wrong now. Uh, I went to a... a I, uh, I went to a... I believe he was turning 10. Went to a birthday party for a kid over the weekend. Um, to drop off a present, we we couldn't we could not make it in force because my you know my wife is pregnant. We're not you know we're, just, we're not trying to hang. Every time we hang out around a cluster of children, everyone gets sick, and we're just not trying to do that right now. With my wife being ready to have a baby, so uh, so I, I went by there real fast and and dropped off a gift, and you know. The kid came up and, you know, he knows, he knows a little bit about what I do, but like not when I say things like I have been doing this longer than there has been a YouTube, there's just like a, what I don't, what do you, what, what is that? What are you saying? Um, there's like a, there's like a, the, the only understanding that I think that, that he's got of, of what I do is in context of just like, oh, you're a YouTuber, just like the guy that plays five night at Freddy's or, you know, whatever, whatever it is. Right. Um, and, uh, and so he runs up and, and when he sees me and says, oh, Hey, I, I got a friend who wants to meet you. I'm like, okay. I go down to the, the bowling lane and there's this kid there and he says, I say, hi, how's it going? And he's like picking up a bowling ball and he's getting ready and he goes, do you play Call of Duty? And then he runs away and roll and rolls the ball down the, the lane. And I, and as I'm saying, as I'm saying, yeah, 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 I play. Yeah. You know, I'm some, as I was saying, like, yeah, I've been playing some Mortal Kombat lately, but then, you know, yeah. um, and then that kid never came back. I was like, cool. All right. I, I'm going to go. Uh, and so, so I ended up taking off after that. Uh, So yeah, I, I don't. I I was impressed that he said Call of Duty, um, because I was expecting to have a conversation about Fortnite. Uh, I was expecting to have to be like, yeah, no, yeah, Fortnite. I don't, I don't really play it anymore. I messed with it back when I played Fortnite. There was no battle royale. And I was like, uh, or or whatever, but uh. Yeah, it was a it was a funny it was a silly exchange. Um, but yeah, you know he closes with AAA publishers are riding the success of franchises created ten plus years ago. So now I think you know again I I think that that's a, a very um, I I'd call it you know like that's not a, a that's not a hot take that's not a, a an especially astute observation. I mean it's it's correct. He's he's absolutely right. You know. Um, but it's not like rocket science. It's not like he's like coming up with some some heady new stuff. But but I I guess like the thing when you when you think about this this take from the head of Xbox, and then you think about um, 
you think about Xbox and you think about the games they're putting out, the games they're trying to put out. I think, you know, it's I've been kind of rethinking how I look at Xbox because I think that the the things that you the traditional things you look for, the, the traditional things you look towards when you think about the health of a a, a console platform manufacturer or or whatever else. I think a lot of that stuff is just gone. I think a lot of that stuff is not even necessarily stuff that um that the Xbox brand is is trying to rely upon. The problem is I don't know what they're trying to rely upon because when I look at their portfolio, like they're making attempts, you know, there there's a Hellblade sequel, there's, you know, they're going back to Fable, which is, you know, not necessarily certainly not new IP, but you know, it's been long enough that uh, it is it, it is going to kind of be a different thing. And, you know, I, I think we, we look at the the Halo Gears Forza Trinity. Is that the Trinity? Is it Halo Gears Forza? You know, is it is it a cameo Crimson Skies Mech Assault? Is that the um, You know, Halo obviously has had its very uh, easily notable struggles, right? And so it's this weird feeling of like, you know, the the old shit ain't firing on all cylinders. Um, the new shit doesn't feel like it's as big as the old shit. Um, and so yeah, I don't, I don't know, you know, like I don't know where they're going with it, but at the same time, you know, like they're a box that people can buy third party games, and the biggest third party games, um, come to all platforms. You're the in the traditional space, right? I mean, you know, they've they've got they've got Fortnite, they've got the the most of the games that people play, um, and so it's it's weird. I, I think Sony, you know, Sony's in a very similar situation i think sony has just done a better job of making sony's done a better job of having a house style for better or worse right i mean sony has cut loose everything that is not in that style practically to the point where now they're saying we're building a whole new thing over here uh to make live games and you're like what about liverpool what about the old cygnosis what about uh you you guys know you own lemmings have you ever heard of a game called Parappa the Rapper and, and you know, the blank stares you get in return, you know, that, like that, that Sony's gone and done, you know, they want to make their big marquee stuff and they've got Spider-Man 2 coming out soon. And you know what? That game looks real fucking good. <laughs> you look at it and you go, yeah, hell yeah. I want to play that game. That's the thing. That's the thing. It, it's easy to sit and talk shit about like, oh, these risk averse, big game, blah, blah, blah. But Enough of them are good. You know, I don't think you should go play all of them because I think you'll fucking burn out on it. I think I burned out a lot of the the Sony style stuff. I think you know the Sony's style of of first of uh, of third person action game, story driven, single player, whatever, whatever. Um, I think it works, but I think it works in fits and starts, and I think it would. You know, there, there's just I'm I'm gravitating towards Spider Man because I liked Miles Morales so much. I liked Horizon, but didn't necessarily love the sequel to it, but I would certainly be excited for a new Horizon game. But I just hope that they break the formula, I guess. Like, I, I, 
by the time I stopped playing Horizon 2, boy oh boy, was I done with trapping machines and doing this and like the managing weapons and oh my god, managing weapons. Um, and I don't have a, a, a much interest at all in, um, you know, The Last of Us, obviously, but also like God of War. Um, I, I just the the characters, the story, like all that stuff, never really resonated with me in any kind of meaningful way. I think the combat and the second God of War, the second rebooted God of War, whatever, is better than the first, and and all that sort of stuff. And it's like it's a big budget, big cool game, and you're like, man, that's cool shit. But like. But the, the thing I was, I'm looking forward to probably most right now in terms of like near-term games I'm probably going to be playing in a relatively near future, it's it's Spider-Man 2. Like, I, I really want to see... I really hope that Miles Morales, that they learned lessons on that. And it's, it's I, uh, Spider-Man 2, I hope it's got variety, in a, but also a focus. Miles Morales benefited so much from being a slightly smaller game and being an open world game that had restraint and not bloat. The first Spider-Man, there was so fucking much of it. Uh, and I'm not looking for that type of game. And I'm, I, I don't, I don't need the game that you're lost. Like if you hundred percent, this game is going to take this long. And some people do or whatever, but I just, a game that can really just have the confidence to be focused on like, no, our main shit is good enough that you're not going to miss this like checkpoint races or whatever the fuck, you know, like, like whatever. Right. Um, and so I, I hope Spider-Man two doesn't go right back to just like, here it is a big open world mess. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. I'll play it either way, you know, but, but I, <laughs> I've reached a point where there's just a ton of side stuff that shows up in a lot of games like that, that I'm just never going to do. Um, checkpoint races is one of the, I'm gonna, I got a, I got a Spider-Man swing through all these rings around town. It's like, yeah, it didn't work in Spider-Man 64. It fucking didn't work in crackdown. Like, I don't want to do that. I'm done. Your tacked on races in open world games can get bent. I don't get cars. If your character can fly, I don't care. We're done. Um, Tears of the Kingdom had some of that shit where you're just like, all right, fall through these rings and do it quickly. And I'm like, really? This is... The- you're innovating on the genre? And this and this is where you're going with it? What are we doing? Uh, God damn it. No more races in video games. Um... <laughs> So yeah, I don't know. I, I I just I felt that this was a really interesting take from from someone you know who obviously has been on the inside of stuff at the highest levels for a very long time, and um, you know this email from 2020, uh, they see it too. You know if if you've ever had any doubt, and I I don't know that I did because I've feel like I've had enough conversations with people or not you know not people at this level that have shared these sort of sentiments, but um, yeah. Everyone kind of sees it. Everyone kind of sees that AAA is doing this. Um, and, the you know, he talks about distribution leverage and platform and all this other stuff. And, yeah, you know, their game goes on sale in the PlayStation Store and in the Xbox Store right next to every other game. And they can buy space. They can buy the front page of the PlayStation Store. They can buy space on the Xbox dashboard. They can whatever. They can go buy end caps in a Walmart if that's still a thing. 
Uh, you know, they'll have the marketing budget to do that sort of stuff. But at the end of the day, their game is going to sit right next to 30 other weird fucking $3 anime porno games that came out that day. The only difference is depending on what platform you're on, it either has the nudity or it doesn't. Um, and we've achieved in, in weird ways, something resembling a, a level playing field. Now, I would argue that that level playing field is terrible for us on the consumer end because the discoverability is so bad. Like the, the, the process of finding your next game, let's assume you're just a guy, you know, like, let's assume you're not out here listening to video game podcasts and you're, you're not reading stuff online. You know, you're not on some message board somewhere. Here, you're not on some social media thing hearing people talk about this next game that's coming out. How do you hear about games? That's why, you know, that's why those marketing budgets exist because they're like, oh man, we've got to market this game to Joe Six Pack. I, you know, I, I don't know. What, what is your, you know, how do you, how do you get that game in front of those people? And so the, the ad stuff is, you know, ads are easier to block every day, but you can still market to the people that don't know that. Um, and uh and get them where they live i don't know someone is still watching television on television with actual advertising in it i like that you know one of the things i love about um watching television channels in a streaming context where like you've got a, a a television package that allows you to go to, let's say, the TNT website and watch whatever TNT is broadcasting. All these years in on the streaming television thing, they still have not figured out a way to sell enough ads to fill the time between commercials. You still have these moments on your live-streamed, uh, you know... USA TNT, you know, whatever, A and E, uh, where it just has the big logo up there that says ad break in progress. Programming will resume momentarily. Like they still have not found a way to monetize every second of that ad break on streaming services. It's nuts. Right. I mean, it's like, it, it's, I, I'm, I'm shocked. Like maybe there aren't, still aren't enough people doing it or what the, maybe the numbers aren't there to make it make sense. It's just, it's really weird to me that that is something that still happens. They've largely done away with the thing where they just like show the same two ads in that gap over and over again or, or whatever. But like that ad time that is used when you watch it on a satellite or you watch it on your cable system or whatever that ad time is still not being sold uh, for people watching streams. It's really weird. It's really weird. Um, but anyway, I thought that was a very fascinating take uh, or, or rather a fascinating place to hear a take that I think that we've been throwing around for a while now. Right. Um, and the thing is, I don't think any of this will change per se. I, I don't know uh, until the economics of it completely break, right? Like the, these big games are going to keep 
just getting bigger. It's going to get costlier for them to create the games. It will get more expensive for them to market the games because they've got to desperately try to reach more people to try to make the enough money back to make it make sense as an investment to like the chain of things that will get entirely out of control. will probably eventually get there, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it both feels like a system that cannot sustain itself uh, for all that much longer, but also a system that will not try to change in any way, shape, or form until everything completely explodes. And they will go like, what are we doing now? Oh, shit. I don't know. Um, weird times, for sure. Uh, speaking of Microsoft, Capcom says uh hey if if microsoft tried to buy us we would be like nah this comes out of an interview with bloomberg uh the coo of capcom haruhito uh sujimoto was asked about mergers and acquisitions uh video games chronicle chronicled this uh interview and says uh i think there have been many merger and acquisition talks in the game industry sujimoto had to say about it there was once a time we were a target, but rather than acquiring an outside company, we prefer organic growth. Uh, if asked by Microsoft if they wanted to acquire it, I would gracefully decline the offer because I believe it would be better if we were equal partners. Um, this is a very easy thing for Capcom to say right now when they're doing damn good. Uh, Capcom has really turned it around. You know, I think the the Microsoft and Capcom acquisition question is such an old one because the times at which that that was a very active rumor and seemed like something that was actively being discussed to the point I remember some I remember talking to someone who was not at Microsoft but was very, you know pretty well in the know at things that were going on in Japan. Um right before Microsoft's press conference and the thought being like, I think they might announce that they're acquiring Capcom. <laughs> like, I think, I think that they're going to announce it here. If they don't announce it here, it'll probably be pretty soon. Um, and you know, this was at a time before monster hunter world. This was at a much different time in the Capcom timeline when things would have you know this might have been answered a little differently then after years of like really great success and really smart success and really turning things around with a good mix of bringing back the resident evil game like like hugely acclaimed remakes of these resident evil games street fighter 6 fantastic um you know like capcom kind of lost its way there uh they, it's it's weird as soon as they found it they lost it again it was that feeling of like they're doing interesting things on the xbox 360 street fighter 4 came out that felt like they were you know ascendant and felt like they were figuring it out and then somewhere in the middle there a lot of it started falling apart and you're like i don't know street fighter cross tech and not really making it happen and this okay you got some good downloadable games here but not so much and you know, there was a time there when they tried U.S. development again, and that didn't necessarily go their way. As much as I will continue to be the last person on the planet that will say, hey, Dark Void and that Bionic Commando reboot, not bad. Um, I'm alone. <laughs> it's fine. Um, 
you know, Capcom kind of got into a weird spot all over again. And, um, and they very much seemed like an acquisition target. So in a lot of ways, this question feels like it's being asked like four years too late or, or whatever, because obviously Capcom is, is in a much better financial position now. Um, and they're doing their thing and more power to them. Honestly, I, I you know, I, I think that it's, it's great that Capcom has been doing well, I, I think they've been doing some exciting stuff. I hope that they end up, you know, getting back to taking some more chances and doing some more weirds. Remember they did uh, one of the, um, Oh yeah. I don't know the, the dead rising franchise and all the stuff that happened to that. And if only that real time strategy game to come out, that would have turned dead rising around. Um, if only the dark mega man game had come out, that would have, that would have happened. Um, but yeah, you know, we, we're, we're back to a Capcom that can release something like Exo primal, which I don't think is a good game, but also I think they're in a position to where it's okay for them to be trying to take some stabs like that. We're back to a Capcom that is like, Oh, by the way, we're going to make a dragon's dogma too. I mean, really? I mean, yes, really. But also like, you know, the, that's a game that you would not have thought of, them ever being able to make a sequel to it was going to have its fans and it was never going to, you know, it's, it's no monster hunter. So it's just going to get buried and never come out and blah, 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 blah. Um, and now Capcom is back at a point where they can go like, no, we're going to fucking make a dragon's dogma too. And we're going to convince people that it's the biggest thing in the world. You know, it, it's almost, and we'll see, right? I mean, there's a while there before that game comes out. Um, I, Dragon's Dogma 2 to me feels like it gets lumped in, you know, it, it belongs in the same bucket as like, hey man, we're making a new armored core, you know, it's that thing that was a very specific segment of the gaming audience loves this thing, uh, but it's never the, been the biggest franchise in the world, but there are some people who swear by it and blah, 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 and you're never going to see it ever again for this reason, this reason, this reason. But now we're suddenly back to a point where they can afford to try to do this. You know, it's not going to be some $200 million game, you know, to the, to the point we were talking about with AAA games being some massive, you know, uh, risk averse thing. Capcom is at a point where they can go, okay, yeah, we're not going to give this, we're probably not going to give this the biggest budget in the world, but Yeah. Let's uh let's take another stab at this. We think that this this game, you know, another one of these if we if we address this this issue, this issue, this issue, we think we'll have really good word of mouth. We think we'll do this. We think it'll do, you know, like being able to build a business case for how they could make another Dragon's Dogma and making it happen. That's awesome. Same with Armored Core. I would say, you know, it it's a it's a different situation. Um, in a lot of ways, but I, you could, you could, there's some form of this analogy that applies to Baldur's Gate three a little bit too. Obviously they, you know, did the early access thing and were able to build up word of mouth with their previous work and blah, blah, blah. You know, it's not quite the, the same thing, but we're at a point where one of the biggest games of 2023, one of the biggest releases of 2023 is the new Baldur's Gate. That's fucking nuts, man. It's awesome. So I guess like that's, that's kind of the, one of the cool things about where video games are at right now is we can look at the Assassin's Creed's and the, the call of duties and, you know, 
NBA and Red Dead or GTA, you know, like these big traditional, big console, triple A, messy things and say, yeah, this, this space is kind of, they're circling the wagons a little bit because they, they're spending so much money on it that they can't afford to fuck it up. And, and so they've got to do this and that. Um, but there's so much other stuff happening. Um, and that's great because I think there's room for those big games in, in some form of moderation because there's so much other fucking crazy stuff. Again, how can you, you know, you know, you look at a world where, look at a world where they just released a new armored core and people are psyched. Is it the biggest selling game of the year? Is it the best game of the year? No, and probably not. But it's great that we're at a point where that stuff can happen. Um, and Capcom has been a really interesting company, some hits and some misses, you know, but like, it feels like the hits are hitting a little harder. I think they're doing a little, you know, better on, on their big stuff. And, you know, I bet on Exo Primal, I bet that, you know, by getting Microsoft to foot some percentage of the bill on that by, you know, selling it into Game Pass, Capcom probably is not looking at Exoprimal as a massive failure. They're probably, you know, they're looking at it as just like, hey, man, we, we got paid off the fucking front end, so fuck it. You know, did it go on to make a bunch of, you know, like, no. Is it is it a huge loss that we're like, messed up from did it did it screw up any other business are we laying people off are we you know no like yeah um i got a notification i got a windows pop-up last night that said uh and this uh, brace yourselves here outriders is leaving game pass at the end of this month yeah i know I, uh, I'm at a loss about what to do because, you know, my, my Outriders character is on Xbox and, you know, I can, am I going to take advantage of the 20% off, uh, savings that you get for games that are leaving game pass? Am I going to take advantage of that to make sure that I can continue to play, uh, Outriders? I like Outriders. Uh, I liked Outriders up to a certain point. I uh, eventually stopped playing Outriders. Um, Outriders to me, still one of the like perfect Game Pass games. Like here's this kind of here's this co-op loot shooter thing, and you know it's fine. It's not gonna blow your wig. You know it's 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 not gonna blow you away. It's not gonna suck you. You know like whatever. It it came out. You could do a lot worse. Like, hey. Um, I think it's a, a solid co-op game for a subscription service to have. It is uh a Netflix original video game. You know, a lot of you know, like the when you like, oh, it's like this is not a high end like, okay, look at this kind of it's a direct to video release. You know, Outriders. It's got a, a lot of the the things that the bigger games have and going for it and all of that sort of stuff, but it's not quite there. And it's perfect for that for that chunk right there, I guess. Um, 
Anyway, Capcom says they're not open to being purchased right now by Microsoft, which, duh. Uh, of course. Unity. We're talking about Capcom, we're talking about Unity, but we're not talking about Capcom Unity. It's like a an amazing joke for like six people. Uh... Mark Witten of Unity has apologized. He says, I am sorry. They have rolled out their updated plans. Uh, just to recap quickly, Unity rolled out some uh, new uh, terms, some new licensing or whatever you want to call it, where they were like, hey, we're going to charge, uh, we're going to charge developers. Oh, oh, once they've made a certain amount of money, we're going to start charging developers 20 cents every time their game is installed. This set off alarm bells across the entire industry. This has been the main topic that I've seen. You know, you you go to places where game developers, where smaller game developers are talking about developing video games. This has been the dominant topic of discussion ever since it happened. Um. Anyway, their update here. Um is that they are not going to apply those fees to existing games unless those games update to a newer version of the Unity engine, the newest LTS, the newest long-term support engine, which they are um, referring to, I guess, as the 2023 LTS, though it will not be out in 2023. Uh, will be out in 2024 or something like that. Um, and the fee is applicable. This is a Video Games Chronicles recap of it. Uh, once the game has reached $1 million in gross revenue tra in the trailing 12 months and 1 million initial engagements, which is, I assume that's installs or, you know, whatever, you know. Uh, and then Mark Witten put out, you know, there's a, I want to start with this. I am sorry. We should have spoken with you more and incorporated more of your feedback before announcing our new policy. Our, pol our goal is to ensure that we can continue to support you today and tomorrow and keep deeply investing in our game engine. You are what makes Unity great. You know, I like that style of, of lip service. It sounds like they're also going to take self-reporting for installs of the games as opposed to, you know, trying to monitor that themselves. Um, the per-install thing is, you know, it, but it, okay. So this thing is less bad than the thing that they rolled out before. But, you know, from my, I won't quite call it casual. I will call it, you know, I did some, I did some looking around uh, deliberately, but I, I, you know, it's not exhaustive research, but going around and kind of looking at what, what are game developers saying publicly on social media, on co-host on, you know, like, what are they, what are they out there saying about this sort of stuff and, and trying to dig into it a little bit. I have seen exactly zero people saying oh thank god okay good i'm glad unity fixed that the most positivity i've seen out of game developers on this change is okay good this is something that doesn't immediately fuck us over oh god we've got to stop using unity the number one sentiment i have seen since this started up since they, they tried to roll out this runtime fee in the first place, has been, oh God, I can't believe we're making a Unity game. Holy shit, we have to stop them. Like, what are we going to do? 
this takes some of the heat off the what are we going to do because unless you end up using their current version of their engine you you might not have to touch that that said um if you're shipping a game on console usually you end up having to use the latest version of the engine so sticking around on old engines you know not going to be uh not going to be an option for some of those developers past a certain point if they're doing ports and and, and maintaining ports and patching you know like they will have to um they they may have to upgrade eventually um, which would then put them in the crosshairs of this new policy. Um, Unity has completely destroyed whatever trust they had with uh, game developers, in, in, in my view. Again, I've, I've, I've not seen a single person uh, developing video games saying, oh, this is fine. This is good. Uh, this, this is, this is going to work out just fine. Um, yeah, the, the, you know, and again, these, these sorts of changes seem like they're, uh, targeted at maybe like the Hoyoverse, the, your Genshin impact developers and such try to get more money out of that. And yes, uh, that is sort of points out that, uh, that studio posted a whole bunch of job listings for new engine development. So even they're like, oh, I guess we've got to get off unity. So, um, super bad for them. I, I'm guessing super bad for them. Cause if even the big companies are like, cause the big companies will be the ones that can afford to sit down and go, okay, shit. All right. Let's, uh, let's just pivot to a new engine. It's going to cost us a bunch of money, but we will make it back in the long haul by not having to pay unity. These fees we will be better off doing this. We'll own our own destiny. We'll control our own destiny from here going forward. Whatever games we make, we'll have our own tech or we'll move to unreal or, or whatever. You know, I saw some people trying to do cost benefit analysis about, um, about the changes they announced. And it sounded like the, you know, the basically comparing it to unreal engines fees and, and how much you would have to pay time by time. And kind of the, the narrow window where unity is a better deal than unreal is a narrow one indeed. Uh, and, and, it's just fucking nuts, man. So maybe they don't care. Maybe at the end of the day, they're like, whatever, we're going after movie money and, and we're hoping that enough of these big engine developers don't change that we can make money off of them. But if even your Genshin impacts, you know, it's just probably got to be one of among their biggest customers, I suppose. Um, That's probably going to not work out for them, work out for unity in the long haul. You know, this change is probably going to upset the Apple card enough to where, you know, you reach a point where if, if no one is using the engine, no one knows how to use it. No one applies for engine jobs involving knowing how to use unity. If no one is using unity, it's, you see, you have this weird kind of rolling momentum here, um, that eventually sort of screws up their entire operation. Um, and makes people want to go to, if it's not unreal, it's, you know, it's, it's mono is mono still a thing. Godo, you know, like there's different engines out there, um, to look at. Obviously it's not as easy as just jacking up your game and inserting a new game underneath. But again, the, the trust is gone and, and none, nothing about this announcement brings the trust back. There was also the official unity account on Twitter was fucking crazy. Um, so they pulled their terms of service off of GitHub. Um, 
and and made a point to say at no you know you could always go to their website and read the terms of service you could go to unity's site and see the terms of service there at any point blah 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 i think the difference was that the terms of service document on their github was in a position to track changes and so when they made changes to the terms of service like removing clauses that would benefit developers over unity and so on and so forth that was something that people could noticeably see um so the terms of service got removed um who can say why well the unity account said that they took it down because the views on it were so low no one was looking at it so we took it down I don't know, man. Again, uh, in a, in a situation where unity does not have a ton of trust that you look at that and go like, ah, that seems fucking crazy. That seems like that. Maybe you just removed it from a place where it was easier to track changes so that people would have a harder time tracking changes. Um, anyway, that's kind of the latest in unity. I suspect that will be the last, uh, one of the, the last things we hear about it, unless they go, all right, fine. Fuck. God damn. Sorry. Uh, come to our, you are at GDC where every, everyone can have pizza. I, I don't know. Um, it's, uh, it, it's again, a, a continually wild turn of events. Um, you just look at it and just kind of shake your head and go, fucking, wow, wow. Uh, there have been casualties of this change. Um, chiefly among them is the Switch port of Ballistic NG. The developers of Ballistic NG posted to their Steam page in a post titled Moving Forward After the Unity Debacle to kind of say, hey, uh, our game's not going anywhere. We're not doing anything else. Um, but... And Ballistic NG, if you're not familiar, it is a Wipeout-like game. It's fucking awesome. It's one of the first games I installed on um, on my Steam Deck. It runs really well there. It's got VR support. It's a, it's a you know, hey, in a world where Sony cannot be bothered to make a new Wipeout game, uh, Ballistic NG, as well as the Redout games, I'll say, are, uh, are really good for what they are. They're not wipe. They're not wipe. You know, it's got workshop support. You can... You know. But it's not Wipeout. It's not. The, the vi- again, vibes, man. The music, the soundtrack, whatever it is. It's, it's, eh. I might argue that the last several Wipeout games also had a vibe problem. <laughs> but uh, they can't all be Wipeout XL. They can't all be the right game at the right time with the right soundtrack at the exact right time. That game came together in a, a harmonious way. Uh, that had to be part luck, uh, but was certainly a whole lot of great work done at the time back then in the PlayStation one era. Um, anyway, ballistic NG is one of those, I guess. Uh, anyway, so, so they had originally planned to port, uh, the game to switch and they're saying, here's why they're not. Nintendo has a rolling Unity version requirement for game releases, and we're already behind the threshold by two years. Two weeks ago, this wouldn't have been an issue. No doubt there'd have been some pains in updating Ballistic NG to a new version of Unity again, but it would have benefited us in the long run. 
By the time we'll get a Switch version of Ballistic NG ready, the threshold for Unity versions will exceed the new versions that Unity are pushing their terms of service changes with, and we currently have no confidence that they won't try pulling another move or pushing back to their original plans under and beyond this new terms of service. The Switch port is canceled. Despite Unity's efforts to recover after their PR disaster, there just isn't any trust and security for us to continue moving forward with newer versions of their tools in the foreseeable future. It comes with much much frustration and disappointment that we're announcing the cancellation of the Switch version. Several years of development have gone into preparing Ballistic NG technically for the port while maintaining the usual output of updates for the PC version. So this comes as a big kick in the balls to both us and everybody else who was excited for this version of the game. We're sorry that it turned out this way, and we'll be looking at working with the console or the rumored Switch 2 in a future project not bound by Unity. We'll still be moving forward with 1.3.3.1.4 and continued content support, and we look forward to bringing in community members for content development again in the future for that. So that's, you know, that's where they're at with Unity. Um, then they recap the unity situation for people who haven't heard about it. Um, and they say many developers have made statements about the changes and more likely will as one of the much smaller devs. We've waited for the storm to settle before making an announcement. What's important for us is that we can, we can continue to provide support for ballistic NG, even if in a year we'll need to be stomaching an over four X cost in engine licensing fees with the pro license. We're currently running a plus license and have no trust in Unity to want to update to a new version of the engine where we'll be operating under their new terms of service. We like to keep the Unity splash screen out of the game because of its now even more negative reputation. Since the plus plan is going away and the changes to the personal license don't apply to previous versions, our only option for this is that 4x cost in fees mentioned above. For now, we're sticking with Unity 2020 to continue providing support for Ballistic NG but we're evaluating other engines for future projects. Um, yeah. So one of the tiers of subscription that they offered is being removed. And so you either have to bump up to the much more expensive pro license or bump down to the personal license, which is not going to offer um, what a lot of developers need. Um, and so this is going to make yeah their engine fees cost go up. If they update to a newer newer version of Unity, then they will suddenly be beholden to the this whole runtime fee thing. Um, you know, there's nothing in here saying that they're going to port Ballistic NG off of Unity or try to do anything crazy like that. Um, it sounds like more that they're like, hey, for future projects, this is what we're going to do. And I wonder if this ends up being a situation where we see a Ballistic NG 2 or something where they're like, okay, we're going to keep supporting Ballistic NG but we if we're going to make this game again if we're going to keep keep building a game like this eventually they're going to have a hard split make a sequel on a different engine whatever it is and uh, start over um so this is yeah th- this is the most direct fallout i think i've seen from this in terms of like here's a literal port of a game that is now not happening because of these changes um, a lot of other developers have talked a lot about like, Hey, if they don't drop these fees, we're moving off the engine. Even, you know, games as big as among us, we're out there making statements saying, this is some bullshit. What the fuck are you doing? Um, 
and we'll see if they end up, you know, like if, if they end up, uh, going through and, and moving away from unity as well. Uh, it's a big headache that no developers needed right now with the way things are. <laughs> um, but yes, uh, yes. As band puncher says, unity sus indeed. And I don't think they're going to earn that trust back anytime soon. It's been a lot of talk about valve hardware, <clears throat> you know, rumored code names and various things. And, I guess a Valve employee commented on this Galileo concept or, you know, people saying, oh, they're going to, you know, the, the next thing, the next Steam VR headset, they're going to have a separate box that does the processing, a separate kind of PC. It's basically like a standalone unit, so you don't hook it up to a PC, but you're kind of buying a PC. And I think a, a person commented uh, somewhere on a Discord basically saying like, yeah, that would just be a PC. It would be too expensive. So we're not, yeah, no, we we talked about it, but no, that's not, uh, no. Um, but the, I guess the, the interesting kind of hardware news out of valve is around the steam deck or rather around the successor to the steam deck. You know, one of the things I think we've been left wondering about when it comes to to valves device is when will there be another one? What type of cadence do they want to be on for updates and upgrades? Is it going to be like a PC where there's always another one right around the corner Will it be annualized like phones eventually? Um, and now, according to The Verge, as well as CNBC, uh, Pierre-Lou Griffet, I'm probably mutilating this gentleman's name, of Valve. He is one of the more prominent names you see associated with the Steam Deck and kind of updates to the Steam Deck and all of this sort of stuff. He has uh, said that it will be it could be late 2025 or beyond before we see another Steam Deck. Um, and gave The Verge a quote here. It's important to us that the deck offers a fixed performance target for developers and that the message to customers is simple, where every deck can play the same games. As such, changing the performance level is not something we are taking lightly, and we only want to do so when there is a significant enough increase to be had. We also don't want more performance to come at a significant cost to power efficiency and battery life. I don't anticipate such a leap to be possible in the next couple of years, but we're still closely monitoring innovations in architectures and fabrication processes to see where things are going there. Um, so yeah, you know, that, that that's, um, you know, they, they want to treat it like a console is sort of the, the, um, the, the takeaway there, right? They want a fixed performance target for developers. If developers want to be able to target the steam deck, they know that this is what a steam deck is. If you want to have a, a, you know, settings in your game that you want to make sure you, your, your min spec is at a point where a game can reliably run on the steam deck or run well enough on steam deck for you to feel okay about it. Uh, that's there. And it's not going to change anytime soon. So they're not going to have to go like, oh, well, now we have to figure out two different settings, one for the old Steam Deck, one for the new Steam Deck, and and so on and so forth. I think that's probably smart on their case in terms of just 
this is such a nascent space, the kind of like handheld gaming PC. I mean, in some ways it's been around for decades, right? Obviously there's been devices like this that have been messy shit shows and disasters of design for decades, but it's really only been recently that this has started to feel like an emerging meaningful space. Um, and so I think it's probably smart on Valve's part to, I mean, you know, because this doesn't mean that competitors are not going to try to one up the Steam Deck, right? We'll see how they do uh, if they are successful with that. You know, Lenovo's got their thing coming out next month. Um, the ROG Ally uh, obviously is out there. Yuck. <laughs> um, I'm very interested in the Lenovo device. I, I, I will I will consider picking one of those up to give it a run through to see if it's any better than than uh, Asus's thing. Um, but I really like the Steam Deck, and I think it's smart that they're kind of doing this. As much as like I would love to have a more powerful one of these, right? Especially as someone who tends to use it plugged in. Battery life is not necessarily uh, top of mind for me. Or it's not top of mind for me until it is, right? There's just that one trip somewhere where you're like, oh man, this fucking sucks. Uh, to where you're you're suddenly like faced with like, okay, actually, actually this stuff does matter. Um, but uh, I like the idea here at, at caring about those sorts of things and performance targets and not just chasing after... Um, you know, any, any single upgrade they can make, uh, I think that, you know, to, to make this market grow, to make this market feel stable, it probably makes sense for them to not rush out, uh, another device. And, uh, we'll see. I don't know. The, the, that Steam Deck 3.5, uh, update is on their preview channel right now. And that's something where they've made some, sounds like some pretty decent optimizations there as well. But it's like, there are going to be games that don't run that that technically run on Steam Deck, but you're going to look at them and go like, okay, all right, I don't, I don't know about that. Where, um, you know, Starfield, can you run it on a Steam Deck? Yes. Do you want to? Do you want to play hours of Starfield on a Steam Deck? I no. Uh, well, I mean. I don't, I don't play hours of Starfield anymore either. But um, point being, in terms of just overall performance, it's uh, it's not an amazing experience. Mortal Kombat One is another uh, really interesting example. Uh, I have that installed on my Steam Deck, and it's novel. Hey, I'll say this about Mortal Kombat One on the Steam Deck: it's better than the Switch version. <laughs> um. But the frame rate, you know, run it. Hey, running this thing at uh, thirty frames a second and doing, you know, like uh, having uh, the the shortcomings of that hardware and all of that sort of stuff. Um, it technically runs, and you can load it up and have a fight and do all this other stuff. I would never. I do not want to play. I I, I should try it, I guess, but I don't want to play online matches on a Steam Deck because uh, it the frame rate is just just low enough to where it's like this seems like it would get in the way of my ability to fight um 
but in terms of just like, you know, hey, I'm going to knock out some fights in invasions mode and, and then go back and do something else. Like, it, it runs okay. But I wonder sometimes if I would be better off um, installing Chiaki or one of the other, well, it's just forks of Chiaki, but the, the it's an open source um, PlayStation remote play client that runs on the Steam Deck. Runs really well. You have to jump through some hoops to get your account logged in on it. You have to go, it's, it's funky. But once you get it going, it works. You know, looks looks good, runs well, as you would expect that thing to do. There's latency because it's a video stream, so naturally. But that's the toss-up, right? Do you take the, like, stable performance of the PlayStation 5 version plus a little latency? Or do you take a game natively running on the Steam Deck but having a frame rate that's all over the place? It's a weird toss-up. Um... And, and a toss-up that works better for some games than others, right? Uh, so it's kind of nice to have the option. That's why you get the PlayStation Q. I, you know, I will be interested in seeing if the PlayStation Q runs streams games meaningfully better than a phone does or any of the other current options for remote play. Like, if there's some secret sauce in there, some magic codec that is going to reduce latency or something like that, then maybe that's a... A benefit, but if that is in there, I don't know that they've been advertising that very effectively. Um, so you know, uh, so yeah, I don't know. Like, I, 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 I'm curious to see what this Lenovo thing is. Um, because it'll be interesting to see devices like that running Windows, but also, you know, my experience with the freaking, um, The with that that Asus the the ROG ally was a really negative one running Windows on a handheld device like that like it was mostly because of their front end and and some of the choices they made around controls being really poor uh, and so if if Lenovo has smarter decisions around I know they have a trackpad on it which is already a smarter move. Um, but if they've made smarter decisions about how to have integrated launchers and whatever else, like that could be cool. It could be, or it could be full on garbage because at the end of the day, windows 11 is not built in such a way that, uh, you can control it completely with a, with a controller. And so they have to build some kind of integrated solution, bullshit software to run on top of it. Asus had their armory crate thing, which is straight up trash. Just straight trash. Ooh, it's garbage. Ooh, it's bad. Burns my skin when I think about it. Uh, the, the armory crate is a piece of shit. And so a lot of it comes down to, did Lenovo come up with something better than armory crate that will allow you to pass off control to big picture steam uh, more easily or let, you know, whatever it is. Um, it's just, yeah. Interesting. I will be interested in seeing it in action when the Lenovo device comes out. But uh, one of the big benefits of the Steam Deck is all that shit is incredibly well integrated. You can get outside of that environment if you want to install fucking crazy shit. But their default environment is very easy to use and is console-like in its experience. Ooh, that armory crate thing. What a fucking disaster. What a piece of shit, man. Oh my god. Um, 
What else? Ah, the CMA in the United Kingdom has provisionally approved the merger of Activision and Microsoft. This seems like it'll be the last real hurdle. But we've said that like four times. Um, and we will see. But uh, but the what the 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 process that Microsoft went through of dealing the streaming rights to their games off to Ubisoft and all of this sort of stuff. They said that this meaningfully changed the deal, and now now they are uh, they are provisionally all right with that. So this will probably be the thing that leads to the deal finally closing, and we can stop talking about it and see what they're going to do. Right? I mean, they're kind of on the clock, right? If this deal closes. How long until Activision's games show up on Game Pass? How long until, you know, like, what's the what's the next batch of announcements uh, involving Activision IP? Do they do anything with the back catalog? Do we see, does Tony Hawk get fixed? I mean, someone was saying Tony Hawk is coming to Steam soon. Will they fix the online? Will they bother to fix the online in that Tony Hawk remaster when they bring it to Steam? They had better. They had fucking well better. Uh, you know, when are we going to see a new chopper command? When are we, you know, how long until they announce a new Hexen? How long until it's more than just a funny t-shirt? Right? How long until these sorts of things start to move forward? Um, that's what I want to know about. I, I don't, the, the, the particulars of, again, cause I, you know, I think, and I look at it as a situation where, you know, as much as I'm normally not for mergers of this size and scale, I think that Activision has been doing absolutely jack shit with most of their IP, with most of their catalog. I think that plugged into a different organization that might appreciate and leverage that stuff better might lead to a much more interesting level of output out of some of those games, out of some of those studios, whatever else. And I think that Call of Duty is due for a large-scale overhaul in terms of how it's uh, offered and sold and all this other stuff. And I think that Microsoft has a much... Because they can, uh, Microsoft has had a much, uh, uh, again, player-choice-focused view of the market as opposed to Activision being very much like, no, this is these are, this is a packaged goods business. We are chomping cigars and selling boxes over here. Um... And so I just want to see what happens next at this point. And again, you know, obviously I would love to see a lot of the older games find their way to Game Pass. Um, an Activision-only game room revitalized with these 2,600 hits. Think about it. Think about it. If that's not job one, if job one isn't getting game room back together and making sure it runs on modern Xboxes so that you can play Pitfall and Venetian blinds and chopper command. What are we even doing? We're wasting our time. Um, you know, go back to the backwards compatibility team and say, Hey, can you get Tony Hawk's pro skater two X up and running? Uh, not, we're not going to sell new copies of it just for anyone who has the disc. Cause we don't want to go through the licensing nightmare of the soundtrack stuff. Um, but if anyone's got an Xbox copy of that, can we let them stick it in and, and make a go? 
We need to stick it in and make it go. We're all about that. <laughs> can, we, can we make that happen? Um, who knows? Who knows what their priorities actually will be? Like that. That's that's kind of what I want to see in action. Like, okay, you spent over a year fucking trudging through this acquisition, trying to fucking please everybody and make all this stuff happen and and blah blah blah. Now what? Now what? Make it happen. Make Game Pass. Uh, put Atari Twenty Six Hundred games on Game Pass. Let's fucking make it happen. Um, and uh, let's see. I guess our last story in the news section. Uh, some senior folks at Striking Distance, the developers of the Callisto Protocol, are getting out. That includes uh, the CEO and founder of the studio, uh, Glenn Schofield. Uh, as well as Chief Operating Officer Stacy Harada and CFO uh, Johnny Sue, uh, according to VG247, Crafton is saying that they are all departing voluntarily, and that uh, Schofield is leaving to uh, to pursue new opportunities. He then, uh, you know, wrote that it was bittersweet. That he was leaving the studio. Um, you know, remember, this is, you know, these are a lot of dead space folks that left to start their own new thing um, and then made a game that was very much a dead space sort of game that uh, had some real performance problems at launch. And uh, I think by the time they fixed them, assuming they actually fixed all of them, I, I never went back to it, but it was too late. Uh, they went through some layoffs. The game did not uh, hit sales expectations. Um, according to this VG247 story, they were expecting to sell around 5 million, but they sold around 2. And so, you know, that didn't meet budget. They laid off 32 people back in August. So, you know, it's, it's, been, a, it's been a rough ride for them. I think Callisto Protocol had some ideas, but at the end of the day, that those ideas were this kind of interesting but weird almost punch out like combat system they invested in some technology that people were not ready for that was not optimized well for those technologies so the execution on that was not particularly well done um and so that game just kind of came out landed flat even the people who liked it were pretty tempered about it. There was sort of a, yeah, you know, this is neat. Really want to see what this Dead Space remake is, but this is neat. Um, and so the three of them are are out. Um, another name you may remember from a lot of Dead Space discussion, the chief development officer, Steve Papoutsis. I'm probably pronouncing that incorrectly. I realize I'm never heard these names pronounced out loud. I've read them a lot. Um, we'll be taking over as the head of striking distance and we'll see what they get up to next, uh, at Crafton. And we'll see if, uh, Schofield ends up, you know, if, if the three of these people are out there looking for new money to start something new, will they end up trying to do this all over again somewhere else? Uh, or is this them kind of falling on their sword over the, 
lack of sales of Callisto protocol. And they're like, Hey, we're, we're, we're moving on. This didn't work out. You guys, you guys do it now. Um, we'll see. Yeah. That's, uh, better news than the entire studio being shut down, but we'll see if this, what the studio gets up to next, you know, do they, do they, do they make a sequel? Do they make a, you know, do, do they, do they make another Callisto protocol? Do they make a game that is set in the PUBG universe? Because I, I mean the, the people that are sticking around at striking distance, not the people that are leaving. Um, you know, what, what does striking distance do next? Do they end up making a PUBG tie-in game like Callisto protocol was said to be at one point? Um, yeah, that's a, that's a weird one. I don't know. It doesn't feel like Callisto protocol made enough of a dent to warrant a sequel or, or that a sequel would be a good idea. You know, is, is, is a Callisto protocol two something that rings any bells with people? Do they go, Oh yeah. Um, probably not. If the problem is that the first game didn't sell enough, then clearly it didn't make enough of a dent for them to try to make a sequel. Um, or to, to, to take a new game and slap that name on it again would probably be a bad idea. Um, I should reinstall that. I'm curious to see how it runs these days, if they ever actually did anything meaningful to it. But, uh, but there you go. Um, it does kind of feel like, and I'm sure it's not quite as cut and dry as this because the games came out at slightly different times and stuff, but that it, it just feels like all the interest was in the dead space remake, which I thought was wonderful. I, th- I thought it was an absolutely wonderful uh, remake of that game. I think that they they nailed it. They did some smart stuff to modernize it while still, you know, making it relatively, you know, faithful to that original game in the ways that people want. Um, I had a great time with it. As someone who, who I, I did not love the first Dead Space the first time around, like I, I kind of fell into it with Dead Space 2. And then Dead Space 3 was all right. Um, but I, yeah, I, I thought that uh, that Dead Space remake was cool. I would like to see them remake Dead Space 2 and keep going with that. As much as like, you know, remakes and whatever else, like how much do you really need? Um, I don't know. I think it's it's long enough to, it's it's one of those things that eventually, you know, as the technology improves, lighting and shadows and all this other stuff and ray tracing and well you know a lot of these dark horror games will you know get a meaningful tech upgrade as that stuff becomes more and more performant um so yeah i don't know we'll we'll see i guess the last last story is that uh they've started taking pre-orders for resident evil uh resident evil 4 on the iOS app store. It does not, it runs on a subset of devices. It doesn't run on every iPhone 15. It will only run on the pro and the pro max, I believe as well as some more recent, uh, iPads. Um, they're going to sell that thing for $60 from the looks of things. They are going to put a $60 video game onto the iOS app store. To which I say, let me know how that works out for you. Because boy, oh boy, I do not think that will work out for you. Um, 
there's listings on the app store. Like, you know, you, you can, you can look at the app store and kind of expand. Like it'll say like in-app purchases. Yes. And then you can tab that down to see what the offerings are. And it appears to be a lot of the same DLC offerings that they had on steam where they've got these, you know, like seven or $8 packages for, you know, like, Hey, unlock this or get some of these, get some of these upgrade materials, whatever it is. They don't have the descriptions, but the names are there. The names seem similar to what I remember seeing on steam. Um, so it seems like something that'll end up being like a free download and what the, what you get for $0, who knows, probably it's just something to make sure the game runs acceptably well, or you're happy with how it controls or, or whatever it is. But I just, the way people play games on phones, you know, they're, they're going to support controllers. They're going to support touchscreen. They're going to support as many different things as they possibly can. I just, the, the, the mass market for iPhone games, they don't want to pay $60 for a thing up front. You might nickel and dime them into spending hundreds of dollars after the fact on gems or whatever. Gems shaped like Leon S. Kennedy's head. How about that? Can we sell those? Um, and obviously, yeah, you can, you know, you've been able to hook a an iPhone up to a screen, either wirelessly or, you know, you've been able to tether these things to displays for a good long time. And so it being, it existing on a phone doesn't necessarily mean that people will have to play it on a phone. They could hook it up to their TV. In fact, now that they've gone USB-C, there are ways to, you know, kind of get video out of a, one of these devices, you know, a little bit more easily than they have before. It's kind of cool, but I don't think that that audience well, whatever. If, if they don't need to reach the entirety of the iPhone audience, right? But the subset of iPhone owners that bought a Pro or a Pro Max, are they going to be willing to spend $60 on a Resident Evil game for phones? That just sounds like straight nonsense to me. But I also feel like no one has really fully tested that stuff uh, in a pretty long time with a major IP with all this other stuff. So I, I'm also curious to see how that goes for them. Like, is there a market there? Is there enough of a market there to warrant doing the work? I don't know. My gut tells me no, but we'll see. I don't know. Um, and that's it for news. Why don't we get into some emails? Podcast at guard.bike is the email address. You send your emails to that address and I will look at them. Some of them I will put a star next to. And the ones that gets a star next to them, well, those are the ones that often get read on the show. Uh, we There was so much going on last week that we were not, we're not able to take emails last week. So it's, it's been a, a, a little bit here. So we're getting to some older ones. Joe from New York says Starfield ain't a space sim. Surprise, surprise. Space sims are great. Lots of people love them, myself included, but Starfield is not a space sim. It would never have even been a space sim because Bethesda wants everyone to play their game, not just the people who like spending half an hour in space just traveling to their destination. I feel like there were so many people wanting Starfield to fail for some reason or another that the people who actually wanted it to be good oversold themselves on it and began expecting more from the game than what it is and always will be. 
a Bethesda game. Yeah, I mean, yes, yeah. Star Starfield is is not a is not a space sim. The, the space part of Starfield is the slightest part of it. Um, it is the the, the traveling like your ship is it, like being on your ship for all the time spent, and, and and you can do this. You can go in there and you can customize the shit out of your ship. And I think that's why they ended up with expectations, or one of the reasons why expectations for the game ended up being weird. Um. Is that uh, you? They they spend all this time going like, look at your ship. You can customize your ship. You can add cargo to your ship. You can put all these weapons on your ship. You can do all this stuff to your ship. Look at all these things you can do to your ship. And you're like, yeah, I'm gonna fucking build a sick ass ship and fly it around and fuck people up. But you kind of can't. I mean, you can, but not. Fucking people up is like a random encounter that, like, when you travel into a system ships appear and they're either there or they're not. And you're like, okay. Um, but space actively being in space is like the the slightest part of that entire game. You know, it's just not, not really a factor. Um, it's being on the ground. It's going to these planets. Then you get into the part where, Hey, guess what? A lot of these planets do not have particularly interesting things on them. And so randomly running around a planet is not a particularly rewarding experience. And so you're like, okay, well, then what am I doing? Well, you're fast traveling from location to location and you're doing these quests. And if you like these quests and the writing involved in these quests, which sometimes involves a little bit of space combat, but not all that often, then hey, welcome. I finished Starfield. Um, I don't think I talked, maybe I talked about this already. Um, I, um... I finished the main story in Starfield. And I think it's really bad. It's not especially like sloppily told or it's, it's not like it's clunky or some of those other things. I think that just the thing that they wrote, the direction that they went in for the main quest, I'm not talking about the faction missions and stuff like that. Um, because I think a lot of that stuff is quite good. Um, the main quest line, the main storyline feels like something where they were like, Hey, and I don't think this is, this is not a spoilery thing per se, but a big chunk of the story, a big chunk of that main story is, well, you want to be able to new game plus, right? What if we did a thing that uh, in that made it an in-game justification for why you would do that? And the entirety of that story is built in a way to allow that. Not that they, I mean, video games are video games, right? It, it's 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 a you. It's nice when things are justified in world, but they don't always need to be. And so they have spent a ton of time and effort writing this story that goes in this direction to be like, oh yeah, you can play it again if you want. But by doing so, they built it in such a way that I look at it and go like, no, I'm good. Because it'll just end up here again and I don't want to do that, you know. I'm like, hmm. Um, it's 
it's bad. Like that aspect of the game, I think, is straight up bad. Uh, and I've and I'm someone who's I've I've liked some of the side characters more than a lot of other people are talking a ton of shit from uh, about the side characters. I think some of them are okay. They're not necessarily the most memorable characters Bethesda has ever generated, but uh, I think that they are. Some of them are done well enough that I'm like, okay, yeah, these are. This is an interesting little. You know, when we, when Barrett and me are going to go off and figure out what happened to his partner and all this other stuff and solve this mystery. And you're like, oh, this is like a neat little side diversion. This is like a fun, this is a fun loyalty quest, if you will. Um, and, uh, you know, again, and some of the faction stuff has been fun too. Um, but by finishing the game, now I'll have to like do the earlier, like I didn't finish all the quest lines on the side stuff. And so now it's a matter of like, shit do I want to do all of that stuff again to get back up to where I was? And like, fuck this. Um, and that's a story as old as time, right? That, Hey, guess what? The, the faction missions in a Bethesda game are much more interesting than the main one. That's not too shocking. I just think that the main quest and then this one is particularly bad. Um, So yeah, it, it's uh yeah, it's it's uh it's it's rough. That game's rough. They've put out some updates and they put out a list of things they're going to tackle later. Um where they're like, "We're yeah, we're going to put a button in the game that lets you eat food as well as maps for cities." Cyberpunk has a button to eat food without having to pick it up first. I'll give them that. Playing Starfield and then going back to Cyberpunk in a in an almost back to back way was really interesting because I think they're both games with significant issues, but the issues are different in each one. Also, they're very similar games in a lot of ways. Um. But but at, at least Cyberpunk can fall back on it being a really interesting technical showpiece now, all these years later, with all the path tracing and everything else. Like, at least there's that. You look at it and go, oh, like, there's a compelling reason to look at this in terms of, like, is this where video games are going to go? Is this Is this path tracing stuff ever going to result in something meaningful across multiple games and genres and everything else. Is this going to be a benchmark moment that we look at and go cyberpunk was one of the games that did it first or not? I don't know. We'll see, you know, like, uh, yeah, Alan wake Two. like other, other games are using these technologies, but will they use them as well? Will the games be, will the games perform as well as cyberpunk can? I think that that's, you know, it's those sorts of questions. Um, Anyway, yeah, Joe is right. Starfield is not a space sim. Uh, and I think that, you know, the people wanted that game to be a little bit of everything or people wanted that game to be a lot of everything, not just a little bit of everything. And I think instead it's a little bit of some stuff in terms of like the grandiose nature of space itself and how some other games of whether it's Elite Dangerous or uh, No Man's Sky, you know, like like whatever, like those are different things. Starfield was never never going to be one of those 
but it maybe could have been more than that. I don't know. Um, Dan in Massachusetts writes in, says, talking about Metacritic's relevancy had me thinking about how developer bonuses were sometimes tied to Metacritic scores. For example, Fallout New Vegas. Do you know if this still happens? I think that some of the Fallout New Vegas stuff, I think, has been refuted. Um, but I, I don't know for certain where that stuff is. Anyway, do you know if this still happens? It seems absurd that people's paychecks could be affected by the opinion of sites I've never heard of, like Press B to Eat or whatever. Is that a site? I don't know. Um, well, look, I... Uh, I tend to agree that the reviews of video games were never meant to serve that purpose, right? Like I have never written a video game and thought about like, ah, I'm going to make sure these guys don't earn money or whatever. Like, you know, not in a direct way like that. It's more of a, Hey, um, I think this game has some significant issues that people need to know about. And if that leads them to not buy the game, so be it. I just want them to be informed one way or the other. Um, you know, for example, I, I'm certainly not sitting there going like, uh, you know, and, and you never look at, you know, as, as a reviewer, I have never deliberately looked at a Metacritic average before running a review and been like, oh, what are, what's everyone else giving it? Or, or what can I do to, you know, what can I do to stick it? To, you know, it, it's like, what's their average? How can I make it lower? You know, it's, it's never, I don't care. I don't care what a game gets on uh, a review aggregator site. Um, reviews are put in place to help the audience who might be looking to buy their next game. That's it. You know, you can get into that kind of crit critical analysis and go like, oh, well, you know, we're here, we're here to talk about the larger nature of games and, and their role and, you know, that the, the good criticism does. But at the end of the day, I think a lot of that conversation does can can and does come back to, you know, someone might be looking for their next game. Is this going to be a thing that's going to sway them to play it or not or help them get more out of the game they already bought in the case of, you know, some some types of criticism? Um, It's not about it's not a report card for developers. It's not a reflection on like you did a good job or you did a bad job. You know, it's 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 never it shouldn't be about that. I guess at the end of the day, I can only speak for myself and the people that I have worked with over the years, but running review departments and, and knowing a lot of other people that review games at other publications in that time frame at credible publications, you know, I can't speak to, you know, cause like now um, we'll get into now, I guess when we're done talking about then, um, it's never been about that. I don't care. Like if I'm the guy who made the Metacritic average drop from 80 to 79 and some guy in a message board lost a fucking bet and had to change their fucking icon, get fucked. I don't care. I don't give a fuck about those idiots. Like they're playing some other fucking fantasy booking game on top of fucking real world, real shit. And I think that stuff is scummy. I think when you're fucking trying to be like, oh my God, oh, this is we this uh you've lowered this ranking and this and that like the only people who care about that in a general public sense are fucking 
idiot fanboys on message boards playing fucking dumb games that have nothing to do with the video games themselves, nothing to do with the reviews themselves, nothing else. It's a pointless fucking waste of time. However, you do sometimes have developers and, and public, you know, developers that are using these Metacritic averages to try to dictate a number of things. Um, whether it's a bonus on a particular game or, Hey, our next game got funding because our last game was well-reviewed. Um, so that was something that, um, talking to, uh, talking to Tim, talking to Tim about double fine. And, uh, he was the first person who ever actually said to me, no, like actually the Metacritic, like that stuff's fucking good because they were in a position where their previous games hadn't necessarily sold like gangbusters. They were not necessarily sales successes, but they were critical darlings that had reviewed super well. And so it gave him a data point. It gave him a metric that he could walk into publisher meetings with and say, you need to sign our next game because our last game was fucking incredible. Could it have sold better? Absolutely. Are you a marketing team that can make our game sell better? Because if we get together, we know we can make a great game and we've got a proven track record and it's up to you to market it. He didn't necessarily get into the marketing end of end of things, but that's extrapolating a little bit, but that's, you know, but, but he said that, Hey, in a world where they didn't necessarily have sales numbers to back up some of their pitches, having that Metacritic average was helpful for them. And that's the only time I've ever heard anyone say anything positive about, uh, about that sort of stuff. But, but it, you know, that does exist. Right. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, that's something that if Metacritic didn't exist, you could still pull those numbers together yourself. You could still look around and go, what are the other, what are the other websites? What do the other things have to say about all this? What are the, what's the general consensus out here? It would take a little more legwork, but if you were putting together a pitch deck, like double fine might've been back then. Um, and you couldn't have a, a, a Metacritic number to point to. You could just as easily have a slide in your deck that says IGN gave it a nine. GameSpot gave it a nine. Games Radar, Happy Puppy gave it a 8.5, you know, whatever. Um, and so that's kind of how, you know, when, when I, I can really only kind of talk about reviews in that context, because I think that, you know, when I look at the landscape out there is weird. And I think when you look at accolade trailers now, when you look at the, like, who gave this game high scores that we can include in a trailer the range of publications that are included in those lists is so all over the place. It's getting to be like movies, I guess, in a lot of ways where it's a ton of people you've never heard of. Or if you have heard of them, you know that it's like a super small, th it's like some guy's YouTube. Well, I guess I'm here. We are on some guy's YouTube channel, right? Um, but you end up in, in a situation where you are like saying some fucking thing you've never heard of with no reputation uh, gave it a 10. You're like, okay, well, let's back that out a little bit and say, who is this person? Ah, no, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Eh, 
they gave it a 10 and this outlet gave it a 10 and this person gave it a 10 and this gave it, you know, um, and I think that shit is way less meaningful than it used to be. The game of the year edition with review scores on the box and all that stuff I thought was a lot more meaningful when you had publications, uh, more publications that had been around for decades when you had more people that had been around for decades to, you know, have that stuff on your trailer. I, you know, I'm, I, I, I have been doing this for a very long time. Right. So I would like to think that, you know, if I were to get into scored reviews, that my name would again, carry some kind of cachet in that specific space. I don't know if it would or not. I don't You know, like at the end of the day, I don't know that it matters. Um, but at least I can say I've got a track record for this stuff. Um, I think that there's a lack of, this is something I've seen from a couple of people kind of in my line of work that have been at it for a while. And, um, there are still people in positions that, you know, have been doing it for a long time. And, and I think that they're, you know, being trying to be good and trustworthy about it. And, you know, someone like a Dan Stapleton, who's at IGN, he's been there a, a good long time running reviews over there. You know, you can agree or disagree with the reviews. I think he's, you know, he seems like he's running a good tight ship as far as I can tell. But you've got a lot of people out there that don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I, you know, th- there's a, a lot of, um, a lack of adults in the room, I guess I would say at some publications, you see some of that in some of the ways that they report on. We were talking about the leaks last week, right? We were talking about, um, some of the reaction to the Microsoft leaks. We were talking about some of the reaction to the idea that there would be an email where someone at Microsoft ruminates on the idea of acquiring Nintendo and treating that as salacious. And oh my gosh, like there's, you know, there's doing that for a headline because you've got to make a buck, which is gross in its own way. But then you've got people out there that are trying to actually like dissect this issue as if it were actually some big salacious thing and some big, oh my God, can you? And that's the sort of thing that I look at and go like, you have not been doing this long enough in a lot of cases, right? When you see takes like that out there and it's like, Oh my God. I'm like, no, this is not, if you've been around this for any length of time and had more discussions and more this and more that, then you're going to look at this and go, yep. And immediately see it for what it is. But if you're devoting a ton of time to it as if it's like, this is the, Oh my God, they would never, you know, like, like kind of fanboying out about like Nintendo would never do this. Like it's, seeing some of that out there was just like, ah, you, you need a, you need someone a little more senior on your staff that can like show up occasionally and be like, Hey, chill. Like I get it, but here's the, here's what really happened. Here's, here's the way this really went down or, or here's how this likely went down and why you should temper this ever so slightly. Um, and I think that that stuff's just, you know, that's beyond like the, like hunting for clicks or whatever. It's more just like a, you just kind of have people who, um, haven't been around it long enough to, you know, to be in these sorts of situations and, and they don't know what they're talking about. Um, 
and it is what it is. But I, I think that like there's the, you know the the brain drain in game journalism I think is real because the jobs aren't out there anymore, and I think you have a lot of people that do have that know how that have no place to do it. Um, I feel very fortunate, and thanks to everyone who is supporting the Patreon. I'll say, hey, go to Patreon.com/slash Jeff Gerstmann. You can go watch the new installment of the Jeff Gerstmann Hall of Fame. Uh, that just went up, uh, ad free versions of shows there. Like, uh, you know, there's, there's stuff there. Check it out. Thank you. I feel very fortunate to have an audience still after everything that's happened. You know, there's a lot of people that, uh, that have a lot of years in this line of work that are out of it now for one reason or another, because it drives them crazy or just the, just the jobs aren't there anymore because a lot of those more senior people can be replaced by cheaper, younger people that, uh, well, not even younger. It's not even younger, cheaper, less experienced people. Um, that are just not going to have the know-how and they're not being paired with people who do have the know-how to help them get better. And so it's a, like I said, there's, it's, it's something of a brain drain. And I'm not going to say that like, Oh, all the reporting now is fucking stupid or whatever. Like there's pockets of really good people. Like I think IGN is a really fucking stellar, like people on their news team and Rebecca Valentine. Like there's just, there's a good number of people there that are doing fucking awesome fucking work on like a regular basis mixed in with the stuff that kind of pays the bills for IGN, you know? And, and so I think that they're, they're doing good. I think, you know, Tam at GameSpot has been, you know, someone who's been doing a fucking fantastic job there fucking holding it together somehow. Jesus. Uh, over the years. Um, there are people that have that know-how, that have that experience, that, that can that can help a younger team fucking figure shit out. Um, but you know, sometimes they're pulled too thin, and you end up with like some social person posts some graphic that illustrates that they know jack fuck about video games, and suddenly your entire brand is set back by like, oh, why did you post this fucking stupid shit? Um, so whatever I, you know, it is what it is. I I think that that's probably something that's, you know, there are probably multiple industries going through that. It's not just video game coverage or or whatever. Um, but you just see a lot more of just like, there are, are people out there that, um, have spent enough time looking at this space to get it. And there are people out there that haven't, um, and they gave us all microphones. (laughs) So I'm not saying that I'm fucking like, Hey, I'm fucking, I got it nailed 100% of the time or whatever, right? I'm sure I've been wrong about some shit, but I've been in the room enough times to fucking have an idea about how some of this stuff can go that I can at least start to make educated guesses about some shit. Uh, so I'll give myself that much, I guess. Um, but hey. Anyway, yeah, Metacritic, I think it's outlived its usefulness because I think the the quality of the publications on it are such that you're just like, all right, who are these people and why do they matter? Um, the bar for Metacritic used to be seemingly much higher. Um, and so now you're in a situation where it's just like, and I I don't mean, I'm trying not to like, people need to be able to fuck up. People need to be able to get into this space and fuck up and grow and get better and fucking learn and all this other stuff. And those opportunities are not always there either, you know? And, and so I think that that's unfortunate, you know, because I, I don't want it. I don't mean this in like a gatekeepery fucking way where it's just like these damn kids. I think that like the problem is that these damn kids are not being put in situations and put in opportunities 
where they can learn this stuff because a lot of the senior people that know this shit got out or were pushed out of publications, for example. Um, and so you just have these situations that you're just like, all right, well, um, you know, that, that shit happens sometimes. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm not trying to, you know, like I said, I'm not, I, I think that this, this space needs more people in it, not less. And the way to get that is people starting their own thing and fucking, and, and you know, whether in starting their YouTube channel, whatever it is, and trying to fucking get in the game. And, but there are a lot of different games that they can be playing. And some of them are more built for integrity than others. And some of them make more money than others. And so, you know, so it's like, it's a weird, it's just a fucking weird space because I don't think that the big mainstream publications are nearly as big as they were anymore. And all that other stuff, the chrononaut says, Hey, you should start a game coverage publication. That'd be crazy. Right. I'd love to, I'd love to like, that's, you know, if I had to think about like long-term goals for what I'm doing right now, yeah, I would love to have um, something like that. I would love to be able to do something like that. Now is the exact wrong time for it in terms of where the advertising money is, where the, you know, like the, the, the situation right out. I like, I've said it before. I think that, you know, there are still going to be more shoes to drop. I think we will still like see, layoffs at publications and I, I think that that stuff's not quite done um i think it's still rough enough out there the i think the ad market is still weird enough out there that there's there's gonna be more to come so i'm not gonna go out there and try to make a push for whatever and you know i, I would love uh, you know yeah I, i'd love to do that that's it's fun it, and it's uh you know like i i need to put a website up at some point even if it's just me i still want to have a place to put stuff uh that is a more centralized hub um and i think there's room for a good video game wiki out there that actually gets attention and gets updated and all that sort of stuff i think that would be cool um Randy in Portland writes in. Says, I was listening to the Insert Credit podcast today, and Frank Cifaldi described a gripe about the Switch that I never realized. The fact that it's marketed as a home and portable console has made it so developers don't have to develop fun, portable versions of their games. You can just take the full version with you on the go. I love and miss the handheld versions of games. Do you think Nintendo did this on purpose? Like they are conspiring to get rid of handheld ports? Thanks. Um, no, I don't think they're doing it on purpose. I think that, you know, the... the you're going to see a path of least resistance when it comes to developing ports of games. And so if they can port their existing game, and that's going to be less expensive than saying, hey, we're going to sit down and come up with a whole new version specifically for this platform, and it's going to be portable in nature. I think it's more that like the... Like the portable versions of games thing is an interesting loss, but I think we also kind of lose the design of a handheld game in a lot of cases. Um, the games designed for shorter sessions, the games designed a little more simplistically how they play and stuff. Nintendo has done some of that. I mean, you know, like Advance Wars has not suddenly become like 
hugely complex by coming to the switch. Right. Um, that's still kind of a handheld game first and foremost, but, um, instead it's just, yeah, it's, 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 you know, you, you keep the switch turned on and you keep your game loaded up and you bring it out of sleep mode and pick up where you left off and you can play any game that way for five minutes at a time. I think it's a weird way to play some story-based games sometimes, but, uh, you know, it's weird. Um, I like it when, when portable games are designed phone games, especially I like that when they're designed around shorter sessions, when they give you a lot of like clear stopping points about like, okay, here's the, we made it to the next thing. We're saving our game. We're done with this mission and we're, we're doing something else. And so, yeah, I, I think handheld games in general, um, in my spare time, I've been fucking around playing a bunch of game boy games and just looking at stuff that I never saw before. Um, or haven't seen in years and just seeing some, whether they're ports or whether they're brand new games for built specifically for the game boy. In a lot of cases, the best games for those platforms. And I think that goes all the way up through the 3ds. The best games for those portable platforms are games that were designed for it and designed around it. And in cases where you saw console games being ported whole cloth to those devices, I think that those were inherently less interesting. Um, because you just end up with like, here's a shittier version of a game you like. I'm like, great, cool. I guess, I guess that's awesome. And you're like, did you know you could play Street Fighter Four in 3D? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I can, but uh, it's a fun novelty. But I'm not gonna really, uh, we're not really gonna do a ton of that. Um, I kind of miss the, the, I miss handheld games. I miss the size and scope of games like that. And, you know, you get some of the smaller games show up on steam and show up on consoles all the time now, but it's just different, you know, because they're not designed to be taken with you all the time. It would be really neat and it's not going to happen because it would have happened by now, but like the idea of developers designing games around the steam deck and then furthermore, designing them around the portable nature of the switch and so on and so forth. But you don't really just, you just don't really see a lot of that. Instead, it's just like, oh, well, you can suspend it and unsuspend it and go play, you know, whatever game you want. And, and I think that's, that's a little, I don't know. It's a little less interesting. Andy from San Diego says it feels like they ac- if uh, does Nintendo make another DLC pass for Mario Kart 8? It feels like they accidentally backed themselves into the successful live service game you'd only find on normal consoles. Mario Kart 8 continues to be one of the best-selling games whatsoever with GTA 5 like longevity. They're even making it the special pack-in game this Christmas. But after the fall, there's no more scheduled DLC. Should Nintendo embrace the unexpected runaway success and make more DLC for it? No. I'm going to say no. They should not make another pass of DLC for Mario Kart 8. It is not the worst idea in the world. In fact, they already kind of did it once. But what they should be doing is they should launch the next Switch with a new Mario Kart. I think that is the thing that they should do. I think that's the thing that would make more sense for them. I think that is like, hey, 
get the new Switch. It's got the new Mario Kart on it. Tens of millions of people bought Mario Kart and probably loved it. The next one is here, and it's only on our new console. It's a hardware seller. If you if you launch with a new Mario Kart, and then and then you can have a year of DLC for that. Whatever. Two years of DLC. Fuck it. Five years of DLC. DLC until there's a Switch 3. Go for it. But I think the... I think the thing to do would be to have a proper sequel to Mario Kart. Have it out, if not at launch, then in a launch window or close to launch. In time for the holiday, whatever. And then, you know, iterate on that with DLC for another year plus. I, I think that, that that's that to me is the move. In fact, when I look at the timing of them you know, them expire, you know, the last DLC hitting this year, it almost starts to fall in a place where I'm like, oh, of course that's what they're going to do. But we'll see. Tom from Florida writes in regarding the taste test of rip it last week, like two weeks ago now, and the Americana oorah troop stuff on the can. I can't speak for the other branches, but in the army, at least, Rip It has quite a reputation. Unsure if the company itself was responsible for it or not, but cases and cases of these would show up on deployments in the Middle East. It's a bit of a running joke amongst the troopers. You couldn't give these away, much less trade them for anything. The worst funny part is that most of the time, the cases would be full of the full sugar version. Imagine a sugary drink filled with caffeine in a sweltering desert. The funny part is that the only other place I've seen rip it is in bargain bin discount stores for the troops, baby. Thanks for the memories. Yeah. Uh, we had a, I don't think I pulled them both, but someone else wrote in about rip it and said when they were deployed, they were the same deal. Rip it was fucking everywhere. And you had people going out on patrol and like, instead of a grenade, they just would take the grenade out and put a fucking can of rip it in there. Um, which is funny. Dangerous, I guess, to have one fewer grenade. I don't know. Uh, but amazing. Thank you, Tommy, and to the other folks who wrote in. Nokia fanboy boy wrote in and said, uh, what happened to the first person shooter genre? I used to love single player first person shooter games, but I haven't played one in years. It feels like the only one left is call of duty. And I do not care for that series. Even Sony do not care about them anymore. The last one they made was kill zone shadow fall. You'd think instead of making the same third person action adventure game over and over again with all their studios, having one big triple a first person shooter game would be a success for them. Titanfall two proved it's still possible to make a good one. P.S. I'm not counting all these RPG shooters and all this online cash shop things. Yeah. Um, oh, you weren't carrying grenades, so the pouch was open already for rippets. Got it. Okay. Yeah, I mean, when you're building your loadout, you, you can use the pick 10 system to not take a tactical. Uh, and instead of a tactical, you can take a rippet. That would be... Mm. Call of Duty needs an energy drink in there and you push the button and you drink the drink. It's just, it's the gas mask thing, except you fucking drink a can of rip it and then nothing happens. You're like, ugh, 
not enough, not enough action in these rippets. And then instead of rip it in the tactical, you can take a rip it in the tactical slot and then a whip it in the lethal slot. So you do whippets and rippets. That's the fucking, that's the military man's speedball. <laughs> rippets and rippets. All right. Someone write that down. Um, yeah, what happened to first person shooters? Call of Duty happened and made all the money. And, uh, and so the the real action obviously is in multiplayer not single player campaigns they have the single player campaigns i mean call of duty the single player campaign oftentimes just seemed like hey we need to make this because it makes the trailers look better you know we need to have a campaign because we need those moments to go in a trailer and that helps sell the game and if a percentage of people never touch the trailer but still buy the game fucking awesome and um and so it, it felt almost like that type of afterthought for a while, right up until they finally put out a game with no campaign in, uh, was it Black Ops 4? And, uh, well, that, that sucked for a variety of reasons. Um, yeah, I think that, uh, you know, the, the single-player campaign is cool. I think that it just it helps to be paired with a multiplayer mode, and the multiplayer stuff has been so chewed up by the popularity of Call of Duty that it's just harder and harder to make that stuff make sense um, monetarily. You know, yeah, we do still have Far Cry. Um, the Star Wars first-person shooter that Respawn's working on, you'll have that. Oh yeah, Atomic Heart. Yeah, Atomic Heart. Yeah. That's not a. Yeah. Ben in Cincinnati writes in and asks, "Did Sega CD lead to Nintendo staying with cartridges?" I was watching a video about the CDI. My man. And in that, they mentioned how between the bad CDI technology and the failure of the Sega CD, uh, that those were t- reasons that Nintendo stuck with carts for the N64. Up until now, up until now, I've never considered how the bad Sega CD contributed to their choice. I've always thought it was just them sticking to what they know after the bad experience with Sony and Philips. How much of the failure of the Sega CD do you think led to Nintendo's choices? It's, it's something that I've seen cited before but not necessarily in an official like interview capacity, but it's one of those, you know, it's one of those Wikipedia things that you see and go, Oh yeah. Um, but, but I've never run down where that came from, but yeah. So, but I guess like my understanding is that yes, Nintendo had its deals in place with, uh, with Sony and then with Philips and then saw the technology in the market, saw what it did to games in terms of load times and the sorts of games that people were putting out and saw that the public was not that engaged by that stuff. And I think that those sorts of things definitely helped Nintendo abandon the technology. Like the deal with Philips felt like it was, it was sort of a situation of just like, Oh, we were going to do this. And then, yeah, it turns out this is not what people want. And these are not the sorts of games we want to make and the sorts of games we're good at making. So uh, it's a perfect storm of us saying, fuck it. We're not going to do it. And I think it's smart for them, except for the part where when the PlayStation came out and the Saturn to an extent, the CD technology had progressed enough to where you started seeing more and better video games that relied on CD technology, but did not 
they were not full motion video. They were not, you know, the seek times and load times were things that people were proving that they were willing to put up with if the games were good enough and someone finally put out a console that could make games that were good enough. That being, I, I would say the Saturn as well as the PlayStation, but it really, the PlayStation, I think, is the one that made it mainstream worldwide. And so Nintendo made the right call at the time, but also the technology got better in the time it took them to get an N64 together and to get their next cartridge-based system together to the point where the N64 felt weird and old by the time it came out. Um, and they tried to push the narrative of just like, oh, these load times, put the cartridge in. A lot of N64 carts have fucking load times. They're decompressing all the, you know, you know, people are not just storing raw, uncompressed shit on the cartridge. You're basically like unzipping a file into the N64's memory and then playing a level of Turok and then saying, boy, this was blurry. Um, and then moving on. So, yeah, I don't know. It, it's, yeah, I think that, that that's, uh, I, I, yes, I, I think that Nintendo looked at where things were when they had to make those kinds of decisions about what their next platform was going to be and said, we're sticking with cartridges because this stuff sucks. And they were right. But that stuff sucked a lot less by the time the N64 actually got out the door. So, yeah. Uh... Let's see here. Ugh. Jeff from Queens writes in and says, Dana White claimed the Power Slap video game based on the hit combat sports television show did over 350 million downloads. However, the Google Play Store says it only did a little over a million downloads. Why is big tech suppressing the truth about the hottest new craze in mobile gaming after the cultural revolution that is the Power Slap franchise? It's a great question, Jeff. There, it's because the people are not ready for Power Slap because it's too good. Did you just see any of this shit? I, I managed to catch this short-lived... And I had seen a little bit of it online. It was on YouTube a little bit. But yeah, I, I, hey, I'm, I'm not shocked by the idea that Dana White might be inflating the uh, popularity of his fucking Power Slap franchise or lying about download numbers. I'm, the, the shocking thing about this email is I did not know that a Power Slap game came out on mobile. Um, I know that they had planned one. I remember hearing that, but I did not know that it actually ever came out. Um, power slap was a bad idea from the get go. Something that was not helped by Dana white, literally getting videoed, slapping his wife while they were promoting this show. Uh, so if you had any just doubts about Dana white being a fucking scumbag, Hmm, there you go. And the network responded by, uh, like delaying the show a week. And then they were like, uh, okay. Has the heat died down on this, uh, domestic abuse stuff? All right, great. Let's, uh, 
it did not catch on. Um, seeing it on YouTube, it just seemed like this incredibly, like, like I don't know, like dangerous. Sure, I don't know, hitting people in the fucking head, rocking them, concussion type stuff. Uh, seemed really shitty for that reason, but um, on top of that, it was just it was bad television because it takes a split, like the the part you might actually want to watch in a slap fight competition is a man getting slapped in the face by another man. Big beefy dudes slapping each other. Slapping the shit out of each other such that they fall down in some cases. Um, so even if you're like, that sounds like something I might want to watch once. It takes about five seconds to watch someone get slapped, and then it takes another ten seconds to watch it in slow motion so you can see the fat on this man's face rippling from the hit. They turned it into a half-hour television show with a lot of, like, walk-up, like, okay, all right, now we're going to do this, and, now, uh, and, and wasting a bunch of time trying to fucking trump this up into something bigger than it was. Um... And so even its best shot at success of like, maybe there's an audience of people that like to watch other people slap each other. That became such a small part of the program because you can't just fucking have 30 minutes, 22 minutes of nonstop slaps. That's a fucking fail army special. You see on the TV at a fucking shitty restaurant. That's not a weekly television show. Um, so it's like a fucking shit idea from the get go. Right. Um, the nice thing about when they, when that shit was just on YouTube is if you want, you could just like skip to the slaps and go, oh, that guy hit that fucking guy. And then you watch four of them and go like, all right, um, there's nothing, there's nothing to this. Maybe some people are getting some kind of twisted sexual charge out of this to which I say fucking more power to you. Um, but, uh, nah, bad idea from a bad guy. Uh, a bunch of bullshit stacked on top of bullshit stacked on top of bullshit. And so, yeah, the, the idea that, yes, they're, you know, 350 million downloads from their fucking mobile game. Give me a fucking break. It's a joke. Um, congratulations to Dana White. Uh, I'll take one more question here. Daddy Warbucks writes in and says, I'm not much, much of a voice chat in game guy. I play with friends mostly but I don't think I'd ever risk talking in game knowing an AI was in charge of deciding if I did something bad or not. Google has infinite money and their speech recognition is still kind of ass a lot of the time. Considering how over the top some of the filters in games have gotten, how hit and miss speech recognition is, and how terrible the average user microphone quality is, I just can't see this leading to anything besides more people abandoning voice chat. So he's talking about, you know, like that's something that they're they're they've been beta testing in Call of Duty. I think when the next Call of Duty comes out, that will be something that will be a little more standard. Um, but uh, that stuff is getting better all the time. And I think that they probably are best served by like the AI just flags it and then a person reviews it so that a, a person is not listening to a thousand percent of all the voice chat happening. Instead, an AI is doing a first pass. And deciding, hey, this seems questionable. Or like, hey, red flag, this one is definitely bad. Uh, and then I believe a human is probably in the loop somewhere on that stuff, turning their keys to uh, make sure that 
the the right actions are being taken um I don't necessarily have a problem with it conceptually. Uh, I just don't know that anything is going to bring a mass of people back to public voice chat. Uh, yeah, Battlebit has it, right? Yeah, Battlebit's the voice best voice chat experience you've ever had. Okay, all right. Um, I ha- I have had Battlebit installed for a long time and have not run it yet. I keep meaning to see what it is, but I've I have yet to give it a go. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I I think that uh, it's I'm. If I played games more with friends, then I would certainly be open to voice chat. Um, but I think we spent a good generation and a half proving that uh, humanity is the main problem with voice chat. And you can use AI to try to clean it up. But then what? You know, like is, is if you... Is that make it attractive enough to where people, and that makes it something that's like safer for children, I suppose, but, uh, and that matters, don't get me wrong, but it's, that's not like if, it's not that this, there's slurs and bad language being used that is keeping me out of voice chat. That's something that's like, it's uncool. It's shitty. Um, but if anything, the frequent use of slurs and such in voice chat is also a really good indicator that that's a person that you should block. And so if those people are cleaning up their act just enough to skirt the system and instead are just shitty people, now you're going to end up getting exposed to shitty people more often. They just might not be overtly racist. I guess, but I don't, that doesn't, I don't know. That doesn't make this stuff that much more attractive to me. That doesn't make me go like, now I can go back to voice chat because I won't hear the N word. I'm a big boy. I can hear the N word. I don't want to hear it. In that. It makes me sad in that context. Uh, when people are being shitty like that, but, um, at least it's a good indicator when you hear it, you're like, okay, yeah, fuck this guy, whatever. I don't want to fucking see this shit. So now, yeah, now you just end up with people trying to skirt around it and, and being shitty in different ways. So whatever. Um, and uh, Corey writes in, this is our last, last one, to say, what's your opinion on the sound feel of the more recent Nether- NetherRealm games? I enjoy uh, the way the electricity makes this weirdly impactful sound. I just find their game sounds to be very unique. That's all. Thanks. Yeah, Corey, I think this, I think that their games have sounded really good. I think that this one, I think Mortal Kombat 1 sounds really great. And also the sounds are very easy to pluck out uh, from the mix and hear like, okay, that got blocked. This is happening. This move is happening. Like there's tactical reasons for their sound to be the way it is. I think that Mortal Kombat 1 does a really good job with the goofier sound effects of Mortal Kombat. The goofier voice stuff of people going what i think a lot of the sounds of someone slipping and falling or getting punched and like the like johnny cage specifically and also Liu kang to a certain uh extent i think are really good at capturing the old feel of mortal Kombat voice work that said raiden doesn't make the raiden noise when he does the torpedo um I think that's okay in the grand scheme. I'm okay losing that. 
because now instead he just goes yee and it's, that's even almost weirder <laughs> um but uh yeah I, I think the the voice the in-fight voice stuff is really good in mortal kombat one uh and also i think yeah i think the, a lot of the sound effects and the the different effects for the different moves and or yeah johnny cage says just says we yeah also yeah that's right the Raiden thing is different. Yeah, yeah, yes. But the weird fucking noises coming out of their mouths, I think, is really fun. I think that's a that's a really good aspect of of that game. Um, yeah, that that game's been fun. It's it's a game with issues for sure. Like I think as more people have gotten their hands on it and have picked it apart, like seeing some of the stuff around, like oh, this brutality is not listed correctly in the instructions, and this little thing here, this little thing here, but also people are having crash bugs and like if you go look at the bug there's an open public bug list for mortal Kombat one of bugs that users are reporting uh because people are trying to get people to go over and upvote the one about player one having an advantage in combos which i don't know if that's actually a fact or not but there are videos floating around uh this morning that i saw claiming that um and you're trying to get people to upvote that uh yeah, the missing captions. I saw I saw one missing caption in the story mode and some other little stuff like that 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 game clearly came in a little hot, especially on the Switch. Especially on the Switch. But uh yeah. Came in a little hot. Still has some stuff that needs to be worked out in it for sure. Uh at least it's stuff that is not uh completely full-on obvious from the get-go, I guess. That's maybe maybe that counts for something, but but yeah, it's a it's a bummer that there are aspects of that that you're just like, yeah, this this needs this game needs some cleanup for sure. Um, hopefully, it'll get it all soon, and uh, you know people can kind of get on with it. But uh, but yeah, kind of a drag. All right, that's gonna do it for the show. Thanks everybody for hanging out. Um, should be here tomorrow. Maybe I don't know what we'll do. I don't know. Maybe we'll play some El Paso elsewhere, and I don't know what else. You can see how cyberpunk streams, but last time I tried that, it, it, uh, it, you know, the frame rate was not amazing. I guess we could play it on a PlayStation or an Xbox or something and, um, and do that. But that's, you know, whatever the, the interesting thing I think about cyberpunk is the way it runs on a, on a big PC. So I don't know. You know. Um, anyway, yeah, I don't know. Payday three is broken. They're taking that down for hours at a time to try to fix it. All that sort of stuff. So, yeah, I don't know. It's a frustrating time for video games. Isn't, uh, is the, the, the Street Fighter 6 DLC is out, is out this week? Is she, is she out soon? Anyway, maybe we'll give that a look. Anyway, that's going to do it for us here. Thanks, everybody. We'll stream on Wednesday, stream on Friday. Get back to some of these Nintendo games. And the Motor City Ramp, I don't know. Those 8-bit Nintendo games. We're going to check them out. See what they're all about. Rank them all. We'll do that Friday. Uh, anyway, take care of yourselves. Be back soon.